Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? Um... It was a week. <laughs> it was a week. It was a different think, week than last week. Was it though? Was it? I kind of couldn't tell sometimes. There are some threads, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Some very strong strains. <laughs> yeah. Through the week. Uh but yeah, it was it, it's been it's been an interesting and frustrating uh span of time i guess let's say if there ever was a span of a week a couple weeks where we could use some sam b like full frontal come back from vacation right. not back for like another two weeks they don't come back until i think the 13th oh, God, yeah and uh oliver's right on hiatus because of the game of thrones finale oliver went on hiatus until like the end of september colbert and myers are both off until probably the fall season starts maybe yeah. So it's save us, Trevor like, Noah. You're our only hope. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah. They're they're not on vacation, so. But yeah. then they also like announced the format for Kepler's show mm-hmm. this week, and it's just going to be an Alex Jones thing. And I kind of went, oh, so wait, we're just going to do the Daily Show and then a Colbert-esque show. Oh, I see what we're doing. <laughs> and Kate immediately went, where, where's, where's Larry? Where's Larry? Uh, I would like to be and Robin Thede does have a new show, but that's not out yet. That's not out for a while. So I yeah. do look forward to when that launches. But yeah. Yep. Yep. Um we had some fun in the TV and the, the nerd worlds. What should we start? I feel like we should start with James Cameron. Well, no, let's like let's let's steadily build up to the outrage. So we'll start with like the positive stuff first, and okay. then go to James Cameron, and then go to the actual outrage part. <laughs> okay. So good news for TV fans this week is that Fleabag is getting a second season. Um, bad news is that there is no Chewing Gum season three. That's been confirmed. Ooh. But yay, Transparent season five. I guess if that's your thing, sure. <laughs> I know it's much more my thing than yeah. your thing, just to say it is at all my thing. Um, right. <laughs> the the Fleabag season two announcement is the biggest thing I saw uh, TV Twitter uh, jumping up and down for, which uh, I didn't like that first season anywhere near as much as a lot of other people did. I, re- I remember a discussion of me being much more positive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I liked it. I liked it but... fine. It just didn't explode my brain with amazing. Yeah. Um, so like I would, I would much rather watch Survivor's Remorse, which we're going to talk about because they had their premiere this week. Um, but I am, I I do think it's great to see, uh, oh my goodness, Phoebe hyphenated last name, Wallabridge, maybe something like that. I think that's correct. Yeah. I think that's correct. Get, get another season. (laughs) Yeah. I look forward to seeing what, what she comes up with for the next season and, um, one that doesn't feel at, hopefully something that doesn't feel as reliant on a reveal um yeah because yeah. that, that really did strip the season of the first season for me of some of his kids a stupid brain figured it out too soon yeah. um but but i'm, I'm hoping that uh that I, I have no reason to think that the second season won't be just as interesting and that uh as a creative that 
um, Wallerbridge doesn't. I'm, I'm sure she has a lot of really interesting things to explore, and certainly the all of those characters. And I mean, I look forward to more bitchy Olivia Coleman, right? I think that's what we all want is more bitchy Olivia Coleman. Just in daily life, just just in daily life, like yeah. I'd be okay if Olivia Coleman just like knocked on my door and yelled at me for a little while, or was really passive aggressive about a life decision I had just made. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I could, I, I could get behind I, that. Yeah, I think I'd be okay with that, especially if I had. Now, what is this? What is Netflix popped? Okay, Netflix. Are they popped. releasing branded marijuana? Is that what this is? Yeah, yeah. Netflix oh, okay. is putting out ten different strains of pot, but they're obviously for very clear reasons. This is not something that they will be shipping and selling. Um, but they're well, yeah, because that that just violates all sorts of federal and state laws depending yeah. on where you live. Yeah, no, but there's going to be some like expo in Hollywood, and they're they're going to have <laughs> it's like a health and wellness thing, and they're going to have a booth, and they're going to have, um, and so so some you know, they're themed to different shows on Netflix. Sure. Uh, there's there's something about banana stand. Um, the one that I saw that was just really shocking in how much it misjudges its audience and uh everything about this show is they have uh Pusey riot um oh that's not okay that's really really not okay um and oh, but it doesn't surprise yeah. me their utter lack of awareness for that so yeah, yeah uh, the rest okay. of them are much cheerier and more sure. pun fantastic in a positive way so they they have um obviously the very unfortunately uh named one for orange is new black but they've got three for their new show disjointed this is clearly a push for the uh sitcom they have with kathy bates about a dispensary um those are called omega strain eves bush and rutherford b hayes with a z um we've got wet hot american summer camp firewood bojack horseman uh prickly muffin uh, Arrested Development, Banana Stand Kush, Chelsea Vodkush, uh, Grace and Frankie, uh, Peyote 73, um, yeah, Lady Dynamite, Sassafras OG, uh, Santa Clarita Diet, uh, Bacabile, Bacabile. Because we all remember the smash hit, Santa Clarita Diet. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> watched that that one um and then there's mystery science theater 3000 the return moon 13 um so those are the, the i'm different really shows. upset that there's not a voltron one there should be a voltron one because that would be very on brand and child appropriate yeah i was gonna say isn't that aren't they officially branding that as one of their kids shows i feel like that could be an issue but um anyway so yeah so that's what you want that's what the deal is with the the pot at netflix um have fun y'all within safe legal and reasonable limits and report back i suppose i would but having any marijuana in my apartment actually violates my lease despite the fact that it's legal here in the state very interesting interesting yeah um we've delayed long enough i think so we need to get to <laughs> uh I, I i gotta i gotta vent some spleen um yeah, let's no valid very valid spleen even though i think i've also seen this first opinion espoused by some folks already on twitter so <laughs> yeah no twitter's been all over this twitter's been great yeah. all week um so yeah so so james cameron uh is someone this we're gonna have a nice little conversation here about the art and the artist um so james cameron came out this week and um uh, expressed his opinion that the wonder woman 
uh, that wonder about complaining about Wonder Woman and the new film, um, and saying that she was she's objectified and she's not a feminist icon, and that this interpretation of her, even just the character itself, is um, is movement backwards for female representation um, in in film and in storytelling. Um, I really enjoyed Patty Jenkins' clapback. Uh, if you saw that, Noel, but mostly it's like James I Cameron. Thank you for uh, thank you for T two Th- and 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 uh, Lin- th- Linda Hamilton also thank you for Sarah Connor and James Cameron thank you for Aliens and Sigourney Weaver <laughs> thank you for your badass portrayal of Ripley there are other ways to be feminist icons than just in the James Cameron mold and he doesn't seem to understand that but that's the very definition of feminism is letting people have autonomy and control over their own personhood and not be defined by other people's ideas of what they need to be based on their gender um and celebrating the differences and the diversity within our you know our species and our culture and our genders um so yeah that's my thoughts on that basically i put in our notes and all off james cameron um do you have any thoughts on this well, I, the idea of uh, how does he describe it—an objectified icon, just Hollywood, male Hollywood doing the same old thing—was something that I'd seen expressed by other folks prior to Cameron's um, discussion of it uh, online back when Wonder Woman first came out, uh, particularly just in regards to her costume um, and a sexualization of the character that I never really felt was there in the film. Um, so I always sort of just kind of did an eyebrow arch, at least within Wonder Woman. Um, I just kind of always went, I don't really feel like the film's objectifying her in any particular way. It's certainly not in the way that I have Chris Pine naked covering his junk for a solid, like, three minutes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is, feels far more objectified, um, than anything that happens to um, Gal Gadot in the film. So... And I agree with you as well. It's just like the, the, there are more ways to fit into a feminist hero mold than necessarily what you've done, James. And then like, yeah. So, and even if you want to get kind of clapbacky with it, it's just like, James, you, you gave Ripley a whole mother complex thing, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird and awkward. And it's something that wasn't even in the first movie. And you just kind of grafted that on. Mm-hmm. And so... It, it it becomes a weird thing where it's just like, oh, you're not free of feminist critique either, my friend. Um, <laughs> and I think that's where it goes from is that this is this is a discourse. It's one that I do not agree with. And we can also just talk back to you about your own representation issues as well, James. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, you can think he's very uh, limited in his view of what female heroes and superheroes are and still love his work and still think he's given us some of the great female heroines in cinema because he has um so uh, along with of course the writers and the actors and the editors and everybody else involved too it's such a such a 
group effort to create anything that's in film or television that it's important to not lose sight of that even as as focused as we are uh, a lot of times in discussing film and television through the auteur theory and the director in, in film and the showrunner in television being the sole authorial voice i mean yes it's very much that like those characters don't happen without james cameron and his contribution to uh feminist and powerful female heroes in our pop culture and in in, in our in our culture in american culture uh i think it makes gives more interest than to his response to this new yeah. addition to that canon it gives it more uh more of a reason to to engage with that and have that thought but um it's not a defining or a correct thing but that like that discussion of the costuming is something that you know friends of the show uh Alison Shoemaker and uh Carolyn Sita and I have sat and talked sat around and talked about whether that is was objectifying or not or uh, you know if you know like why is she dressed like that and what does that say and if the camera doesn't leer at her but people they know people in the audience still will what does that mean like all these different things like these are conversations to have but um Like, if you're James Cameron, I don't know why you're going out there and making this statement, but, you know, that's cool. Yeah, and I mean, there's, there get like there are lots of ways to sort of gaze, is the other thing, is, mm-hmm. like, that's always, like, been, like, the primary critique of, like, male gaze and resistance and apparatus theory, and I could go on and on to show how many uh, film theory things I had read in undergrad, <laughs> but I won't because um, I'm trying not to do that anymore. But there's just a lot of ways to push back against that. And then, I mean, we can talk about, like, a fetish- fetish- fetishization of a harder feminine body, mm-hmm. which is what we get with Sarah Connor, especially in T2, and where that falls in and how that works. And so there's a lot of ways to do it. And Jenkins' response of, like, there are lots of different sort of icons, and the audience clearly spoke as well. And more importantly, like a massive amount of a female audience spoke as well. So you're going to tell all these women that they're wrong Mm -hmm. is the, and especially a man getting to tell them they're, they're wrong is really just not a great thing, James. Yes. This had white Um, man maybe don't (laughs) tell women what they should think. You can say what you think. Just don't say what other people should think so yeah yeah well on that note let's pivot right on over to the big tv scandal i guess of the week which is the whedon fiasco that that uh broke out early in the week um so for those who have been living under iraq with wi-fi okay when did you hear about this I heard about it, like, the day you let me know about it. And, like, so I heard about it on Monday, but this was something that had circulated beforehand, I think. Yeah. No, this was... Yeah, I think it was, like, Friday or Saturday, and I didn't hear about it until, like, Monday. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's something I was... I was I could look through my text history, because my sister and I were talking about this a lot um, <gasps> when it broke, um, and tell you. But, but, no, what happened is that Joss Whedon... Um, who, of course, for those who don't know, is the showrunner and creator of Buffy, uh, the Vampire Slayer, and Angel, and Firefly, and Dollhouse, and director of The Avengers, and Avengers 2 Age of Ultron. We have once again, listeners, put a pin in our MCU discussion. We keep having to bump it back, but we'll do that later. Um, 
was married to Kai Cole, his wife, um, for 16 years. They were together for 14 years before that. This week, this past week, Kai Cole wrote a piece for, I want to say, The Rap. The Rap. Yeah, okay. Um, Letting people know that they had they were now officially divorced. They had been separated for five years and that over the course of her 20 year relationship with Joss Whedon, he was a serial cheater who gaslit her to a point that she was diagnosed with uh, CPTSD, which is basically what you get diagnosed with when you have an abusive, uh, emotionally and mentally abusive relationship with a close family member. um, And they are trying to tell you, you aren't seeing what you're seeing. Um, And that, that he, took this mantle of feminist cheerleader and, you know, male white male feminist, um, and use that as a way to, to hide behind that, to explain why he was such good friends with all these different women, not because he was having a series of affairs with them, not because, uh, he was a piece of shit, uh, uh, person who exploited his position of authority to, to hook up with the actresses, working for him and the writers and you know other things like that like she doesn't say give any names or anything like that but just says actresses and also other collaborators and also fans um so that he was just using that as a smokescreen so that people wouldn't suspect him of inappropriate behavior um and also that uh (laughs) just like she had quotes from him in this article uh direct quotes from letters he had written her uh, explaining what he had done and and why, and they're just the most Whedon things ever. When I was reading, I was like, "That is exact Whedon dialogue." Yeah, yeah this is legit. This <laughs> I believe this entirely because of the phrasing of these quotes. Um, so the her thesis being that Joss Whedon is not a feminist and he should not get accolades for that. He is just a normal person. So. All, all the people who keep giving him fe- awards for his feminism or trumpeting him as this great voice for women and female characters. He's a, he's a lying hypocrite. Treat him like a person, not a god. So, I have a strong opinion about it. What did you think about it, Noel? Well, it's one of those things where I kind of, like he it's more of a like a brand sort of issue for me than it necessarily boils down to how this impacts his work i think you can still see his work outside his context getting back to this uh how we work around and through and without auteurist approaches um but also just acknowledging the fact that his particular brand of writing sort of a feminist perspective or the idea of a strong female character for him really hasn't evolved since the 90s Mm. and if we were having our mcu discussion we would be having this discussion in relation to ultron and how natasha is sabotage throughout the entire movie as a character um <laughs> we will be having that conversation when we do yeah. have our mcu discussion <laughs> right and that that will be your one major valid complaint about oh, that movie. No. the rest of it will be invalid because the movie's actually really good no. we're gonna have to like call up judge john hodgman on this one i think <laughs> clearly but continue sir uh, yeah let's continue so um so i think but it becomes an issue of like branding and how we discuss him more than anything. And 
I think that that gets really, as a person and in this politics, I think is where the main problem, for me anyway, comes into play. Not necessarily what it says about his work, even though there are various ways to dissect and critically engage his work, which have been done. I mean, not even getting started in like a feminist perspective, but just on this, on his much discussed, uh, but under discussed, but much discussed, um, just issues with race on his shows, which is just bad. Uh, it's just bad. It's really, it's always been really bad. Um, so that for me is, I think one of the, like the big takeaways was her, um, denunciation of his brand, which I think was really important. And it's why he has maintained the degree of cultural cachet that he has Mm -hmm. and also his standing that he has when you consider the fact that he has worked consistently but has never had, like, big hits in the moment outside of, like, a big franchise thing where you had the weight of a studio behind you to get that to happen, whereas you had a couple of small cult-beloved shows and then two shows that ran for multiple seasons type of thing. And so as much as those shows are respected and liked and enjoyed, it's also credited to the fact that he's been able to navigate press and take credit for the representations within those shows that people have really latched onto. And that, I think, more than anything, is why this is really significant. For me, uh, this I, I was getting frustrated seeing some of the response online because there was such a strong because there was a very strong pushback um from fans um i was very uh, validated to see that at least in my twitter feed and in the the brief digging that i did seems like pretty much everyone was like yeah i i believe her i'm with kai cole on this and whedon's a scumbag and then there was a percentage of of people who immediately said well she's his ex-wife so she didn't believe anything she says and but but for the most part it seems like people i was i was pleasantly surprised to see that people did not just rush to the powerful male creators you know defense um what i did start to see that was very frustrating was all of this why does it even matter it's not it's their personal lives okay so he was a crappy husband but that doesn't actually mean anything this is none of our business um, and separate the art from the artist. And I get really tired of that argument after a while. And um, be- because I, I, there's a lot to be said for that. Absolutely. Do I listen to Wagner? Yeah, I listen to Wagner, even though he was anti-Semitic. Um, not to the extent, at least in, in my studies, not to the extent as he is often portrayed, but still he was. But yeah. I still listen to Wagner. Um so I, I like trust me I get it. The thing is um like when when this news broke and I thought back on on the shows uh all of a sudden certain storylines, certain choices of of characters on especially on Buffy made so much more sense. It's like why did Xander leave Anya at the altar and out of nowhere because he had this complex about how he was going to hurt her and she was she, he needed to save her from him and his damage and he he knew what was best and all this stuff it's like oh this reads it didn't make any ever make any sense on the show 
and then you read the language that he's that Whedon was using in these letters, and all of a sudden it just makes sense. Um, now, so there are just threads like that. Uh, sure. it, it, like when I watched Ultron, when I rewatched Ultron for the first time, um, I remember not liking the Black Widow stuff when I first saw it, but when I rewatched it, I had a clearer perspective on it because I knew it was coming, so I could kind of take the context of right. everything. And that opened my eyes in a big way because that triggered like these other connections in my brain of, wait a second, can I think of a single female character, certainly a single main or, su- or significant supporting character in anything Whedon has ever written, ever, who hasn't been threatened with violent rape or somehow emotionally devastated into a weeping mess on the floor, or killed? And the answer is no. Like, you have to go to, like, Maria Hill levels of supporting characters in his work. In Buffy, in Angel, in Firefly, in Dollhouse, and in um, in Avengers, and uh, Cabin in the Woods, right? They're all killed. And um, in... Uh, what was the other one? Oh, I, much ado is Shakespeare. So that's you know that's not as a writer. It, he he loves his powerful, intimidating, unexpectedly so, female characters, and then he loves to destroy them, and then he loves to have them pair them up with beta males who have massive self loathing. Um, that and and when when that happens the first time or the second time or the third time. It's not that significant. It's a particular kind of story that you're telling. When it never evolves, as you said, when it never changes, when it never evolves, when it becomes the default setting at a certain point for any creator's narrative that they keep their template that they keep going to and doesn't evolve over, what, 20 years at this point? That's a problem. You want to tell that story once or twice? Fine. But at this point, I don't know why I should trust Whedon with a powerful female character because I'm pretty sure I know what he's going to do and he's going to give them some horrible complex, some dark, tragic backstory and then have them be saved by their relationship with a beta male. Um, and, and I think looking at the, obviously this was a in no way finished script, but the Whedon Wonder Woman script that got leaked was atrocious and it just yeah. spoke to these same issues. So even before Kai Cole wrote this piece, back when I rewatched, uh, like when the Wonder Woman script came out, I was like, oh, thank God that no-. I was a big champion for his Wonder Woman movie in theory when that was going around. Right. Well, so sure. when that- we all were. We Why all were. We yeah. yeah. And then, then the script gets leaked and you're like, okay, this is a draft, very early draft, but still, this is horrendous. Yeah. And it's got some significant racial problems, too. And then the I rewatch Ultron. I'm like, oh, so he took this character, Natasha, and defined her entirely by her damage and her ability to bear children in this movie and felt the need to romantically connect her to the damaged <laughs> beta male of Bruce Banner in this movie. And it just made me connect all these other threads. And when you t- add in this this context from Kai Cole of, yeah, he doesn't practice what he preaches about feminism. And so if you're wondering why something has been kind of bothering you at the periphery of watching Whedon's things, his work, and you hadn't quite put it together, 
this is it was like Here's that why. little yeah. yeah it was a, the little piece that kind of clicked a lot of stuff together so, so i still love buffy i still love angel i still love firefly i still am very interested in things about dollhouse um and i still love avengers and i still really enjoy cabin in the woods but the fade i've been feeling like i was if you listen to our earlier dvd shelves i gave i'm pretty sure i gave some pretty solid excuses for whedon's like horrible race depictions like let's never talk about kendra ever again right there's no asian people in the 50 percent chinese world of firefly oh but you know it's network tv and who knows how much control they had over the casting it's a, and then you find out that at, at some comic con he talked about how summer glow looks looks pretty asian anyway so you know yeah it like you stop getting excuses when you don't evolve and and grow yeah. and learn and want to become better and so that's for me that's where i'm at with, with it so while i will probably still check out things that he does it's no it hasn't been for a while of course I, i'm gonna rush to see anything that whedon does because he has not earned that he started having that he had that level of appreciation and trust as a viewer for me for a long time, but that has been slowly eroding away, and this sure. just kind of knocks it out of the water. Yeah, and I think that's fair. Uh, like, I, when we were discussing this a little bit beforehand, uh, like, I came sort of late to the whole Joss Whedon thing in part because I was just like, I'm not super interested in Buffy and Angel, so I'm just not going to watch, is sort of like where I landed. So I didn't start watching Buffy live until after it moved to UPN to give mm. context of when I started watching Buffy on a regular basis. Um, and caught up when it was airing on FX. Do you remember when FX used to air reruns of Fox shows? I know, crazy, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so that, so my attachment to him was always sort of like later on for a lot of stuff. And I was never into Firefly as much as nearly practically everyone I know. <laughs> um, and so Dollhouse, I kind of enjoyed more so for like what it wanted to do than what it ended up doing and what it got to do but i by the time we avengers and ultron had rolled around i kind of went i get it dude i get it um i get why they picked you for this both times um but i uh, and i get that you're working things out a lot of things out especially in ultron you're working out so many things in ultron my friend mm -hmm. um that i'm that i never like I've always liked his stuff, but I never, like, really had, like, a really strong visceral reaction to anything uh, or, like, a big defining connection to a lot of it. As much as I still, like I told you, it's just, like, still consider the Angel series finale, like, one of the really good season series finales of, like, in my brain. Mm -hmm. But it's also... But I can also just... I've always felt, like, a weird sense of distance from a lot of his stuff. Um, as much as I've enjoyed it at the same time. So I've always sort of been sort of just sitting back a little bit from a lot of engaged, but also like I've never really gone back and actively rewatched a lot of his stuff either, though, is mm -hmm. like I think kind of the telling thing for me is like I've never really done a sustained rewatch of Buffy. And I've only seen a ton of Angel because of TNT mm -hmm. is where that kind of falls is like I've never really revisited any of his work in a sustained fashion as I have like plenty of other folks who have made television that's worked for me in a lot of lot 
more, I guess, visceral and emotional ways that I've tapped into a lot more than him. So a lot of this kind of clicking into place, and also my friend Danielle, who really, really hated Ultron, particularly, again, what all the happened in Tasha's stuff, and she's got a very solid rant about it, and it's very good. So and we should have her so, on for uh, MCU talk, is what I'm hearing. Ah, she would yell at me so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, my job. So, yeah, that's your job. That's what that that's why I'm here is for you to yell at me. Clearly. Uh, <laughs> and so that's kind of where I am. It's just like all of this coming out is sort of like also where I just kind of go, yeah, and this is where I'm like where my perspective of he hasn't really evolved as a storyteller through his interests in like 15 years. Mm-hmm. It's like it's been the same thing for 15 years and it's not even to the not even to like a self plagiarizing point that we can discuss with like Sorkin and just recycling plots and lines of dialogue and characters to certain extents, but it's just thematic concerns. He has not moved past those, and they are all wrapped up in women, which is has now just become wonderfully telling. <laughs> yeah, well, and the the fetishization of a certain kind of woman. Um, yeah, and the. Uh, I should add, by the way, Dr. Horrible Singalong blog to that list catalog of, yeah. of projects all falling into that same basic romantic subplot or, you know, main plot trope. Um, also, um, there, because I mentioned that every female character he's written as on, on one of his shows has been um, threatened with rape or raped or killed or other emotionally devastated i should mention of course firefly only got one season so he didn't get a chance to do that to all the characters on that show between the show and the movie but he did they did have planned out a, an episode that was going to just be anara getting raped by reavers for the whole episode so oh, that at the end that's... mal could kneel at her side and call her a lady because at the beginning of the episode he was going to call her a whore and then feel really bad as she got brutalized by reavers the whole episode and he had to go save her so like that that was, ooh, I can't wait to tell that story in season two. Like, there have been just certain things like that throughout the the run, like, of my awareness of Whedon. Um, yeah. That, you know, if they raised a question, I would just would give benefit of the doubt. Like, the talk around why Charisma Carpenter left Angel, uh, why she was fired from Angel, because the, the line that that got put out by people... Whedon's people probably was that oh well the only they were going to cancel the show and the only way that they could they they agreed to bring the show back was if they they brought on James Marsters but they didn't have the budget so they were going to have to they had to let her go so they would have the budget to keep bring Marsters on or else the show was going to get canceled so it sucks what he did to Chris and Carpenter but all these other people got to keep their no he fired her for being pregnant and I had never sought out that information until I heard people talking about that this week and heard what she said about it because I had never heard what she had said yeah. Um, and so just these different stories, and I wouldn't be surprised if more things like that just start leaking start out. circulating, yeah. Yeah, and so it does make you wonder, why does a producer care so much if their female star gets pregnant? Ellipses. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> this makes me love Winona Earp even more. Um, but, um, for me, it's also, you can point to questions about who, as a producer on a show who are you raising up behind you as a showrunner? Who are you creating opportunities for? And uh, I followed the Buffy team 
to many other projects, yeah. many of which I have adored, and mostly I have followed the writing staff. Now, I think it's telling that most of the people given opportunities on that show about women were men. And there were there were lots of women on the writing staff, don't get me wrong, but of the writers you can name from, from Buffy, Noel, how many of them are women? It's Jane Espenson, right, it's, Marnie, right, Marnie Noxon, Marnie right? Noxon. Yeah. But I, uh, like, Noxon and Epson have both just also just been more prevalent, but I also can't think of any other woman from the sh- any of his shows, um, writing staffs that haven't had that have had their success either. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, it's telling. I can name probably 10 male writers. And yeah. the, that's not even getting into the director's chair. Right. So so I think it's also, like, someone who's had that long of a career and that, at a certain point, that powerful of a career to not, to, to be branding themselves as a feminist. You have to support me or else you're anti-feminist, kind of to not then bring up other people when they have the opportunity that shows you where their priorities are. And I clearly gave Whedon too long of a stick for too long of a time, long of a rope. Cause I wanted to think, you know, you want to think that there are people who get it, especially in a uh, industry as backwards, um, yeah. like as Hollywood for, for gender and, and all sorts of other types of diversity. Um, but look at Whedon and look at who he gave jobs to and who he gave opportunities to in behind the scenes as directors, as, as writers, um, as all sorts of different people. And then look at Ava DuVernay and Queen Sugar and her saying, well, I would love to direct this all myself, but I can't logistically do it. So instead, I'm going to make sure that I bring in all these other women with me and, and give them their, their opportunity to break into this very closed off industry. Um, and, and just as I grow and as I evolve as a feminist, as just a person, uh, I just hope I never stagnate. (laughs) Like I'm much more aware than I was when I was starting to watch Buffy um, as a kid and uh, as a, as a teenager. And I hope I keep growing and evolving and listening when people tell me that I'm wrong and listening when people tell me actually that show you love Kate is, it's not really that feminist, which is something that people said to me like 10 years ago. And I was like, Psh, that's ridiculous. How could you argue that Buffy is, is not that feminist of a show? That's I'm not even going to listen. I've come a long way since then. And I hope I will continue to listen when people tell me I'm an idiot at the televerse, the televerse at com. <laughs> please tell me I'm an idiot. Anything you want to add? No. Always tell me I'm an idiot, Kate. It's okay. <laughs> I want to be told I'm an idiot. And you to me as well. As well. I will never ever tell you that. <laughs> oh, no, that's where it falls down. No, we need open communication. Anyways, okay, we've been on this for a very long time. We're going to keep our week in TV pretty short here, listeners, because yeah. we do have. We've got the full preview, everyone. Change of plans. Uh, originally, Noel and I had planned to do our fall TV preview this week um, and look at all of the new fall network pilots that we'd had a chance to see so far and talk about the ones that we hadn't. Uh, that's going to be coming for you guys next week. Instead, after watching the Winona Earp finale, we are like, we got to talk Winona Earp season two and we got to get back friend of the show, Dr. Elizabeth Bridges, to do it. So um, in the body of our week in TV, you'll hear us talk about last week's episode of Winona Earp. And then at the end of the show, you'll hear us talking about the season finale, which uh, just aired 
um, with Dr. Elizabeth Bridges. So first, let's take a break, come back through Weekend TV, and then at the end, we'll welcome back Dr. Bridges to talk Winona Earp Season 2. We'll be right back after this. Cherish is a word I use to describe All the feeling that I have fighting here for you in summer You don't know how many times I've wished that I had told you You don't know how many times I've wished that I could hold you Someone who could cherish me as much as I cherish you. This week in comedy, we're going to talk a bit about the start of The Tick, season one on Amazon, The New Tick. Uh, then we'll talk about the wrecked finale, Nerd Speak. And I'll talk a bit about The Survivor's Remorse, season four premiere, Fallout. Then we'll move on to People of Earth, The Truth Hurts. And we'll round things out with Younger, The Incident at Pound Ridge. So first up is The Tick. Um, I've watched the full first half of the season. This is season 1.0. They're going to have 1.5 sometime next year. Um, and we were just talking about we. Of course, this is Ben Edlund, one of the Whedon alumni, and is also their episodes written by uh, David Fury and Jose Molina and some of the other Buffy alumni uh, with Edlund, uh, or I should say Whedon alumni, because uh, Edlund is best known probably among Whedon fans for having written Janestown on, in, from Firefly. Um, but this is based on the, the comic book character... Um, that they then had the animated series about and the, the live action series with Patrick Warburton and now we have a new series at Amazon. I've seen all six. Uh, Noel, how many were you able to get to? Uh, not including the pilot, one and a half. Okay, so like <laughs> you, you've seen two and part of part of three. I rewatched the the pilot because it had been so long since I since I saw it, and um, I gotta say I liked some of the tweaks that they had. We talked about the pilot when it first was released, and my fear was that they were. Doing a leading a little bit too much into the magical mental health issues, and I'm very happy to report that they yeah. steer out of that <laughs> in a really nice way. Um, as we as the the first six episodes continue, they they tease that a little longer than I care for, but yeah. they they still you know there's enough talk for me of him still needing to take his meds that I think. That was that was nice. I'd like to see them continue that. And I don't know if they'll be aware enough of it from in the writers' room. But um, I like that Arthur is not like he stops taking his meds, and now all of a sudden he's a superhero. You know, which is something that too many shows do. Yeah. Um, how did the tone of this work for you between like the what you remember from the pilot and then the second episode? There's there's clearly some adjustments. Like the tick shows up in the second episode, and he's like, "You look different" because they redesigned the suit. Um, what did you think? I liked what I got to see, um, and I'm mostly excited about uh, Miss Lint, mm -hmm. and uh, who's playing Miss Lint? Uh, Yara Martinez. Yara Martinez, which people right. know who people know from Jane the Virgin as yeah. uh, as Raph's uh, sister. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually most excited about her, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm in total agreement with you regarding the uh, steering away from the mental health things because I know that we. I know that there was, like, a question about whether or not, and this gets played out in the second episode, about whether or not the tick's actually there. Mm -hmm. um, which wouldn't have made any sense if he wasn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> but they string it along enough that 
I'm glad when like Dot he shows up behind Arthur and Dot sees him and it's just like no I see him and it's just like oh okay great so we need to like <laughs> there are other things that we can do now but also maybe discuss the larger mental health issues that Arthur has but again I'm with you in that I don't really suspect that they're going to go in that direction mm-hmm. um at least based on this, uh, what I got to see, but um, you've seen all of it, so you'll be able to uh, speak a little more candidly. But no, it's funny, um, Peter Stefanowicz is just really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he was he was good in the pilot, but he's, he's really good. He's really, really good. And <laughs> I kind of, that's kind of the thing I can't get over with this, um, apart from wanting to see more from Martinez as Ms. Lynn, is I just want more of Safinowitz discussing destiny and talking about answering collect calls and just all of it. Like, it's all really good. It's delivered so well and earnestly, but with just the right amount of seriousness and whatever they're doing with, like, the suit's um, puppeteered antennas just really add a lot. So I'm really enjoying it for Safinowitz and that cost and what's happening with the costume and his performance and everything is like, what's really standing out for me. Um, how are you feeling about it? Um, in regards to Safinowitz's performance? I know you're a big fan of his, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah no, yeah. Peter so, Safinowitz is hilarious and he, yeah. he's always terrific and everything I've ever seen him in. He's a very funny man. Um, I really like, some of the little tweaks that I was seeing to Arthur mm-hmm. um, in the pilot, he felt very much like, like, let's, can we get Johnny Galecki from the big bang theory? But like back, let's time travel and just pluck him out of there and put that, you know, in, in here for Arthur. And so they, they, there's still a bit of that kind of just straight, that one for one approach, but it's, it, they make him feel more like an actual character. I, I still, I just, I liked the Arthur in the previous animated, uh, previous live action series more, and I like the animated Arthur the best. But I have a feeling like they could get there with this one, which yeah. is nice. They take it's just a very different tonal approach because it's a serialized show. I binged them, and they it just goes down really easy. So like you just set aside a couple hours, they're like twenty five minutes each, and you could just watch all six back to back to back, and it goes down real easy. Um, the the there's enough standalone ridiculousness as far as like this the comedy and the the tone of the of the delivery for Seraphina Witch as, as the tick um, that that keeps you keeps it from feeling too bogged down by some of this mythology there's a lot of ridiculousness in the background that I think is helps with that and keeps it very light um, but I do like having that thread if you're gonna binge it of the plot they they as far as I'm concerned they paced it pretty well it didn't feel too repetitive um I don't know how it would play if you watched it week to week it might feel like it's dragging if you watched it like spread out but as a series just like as a couple hours I think it it works pretty well and I agree Yara Martinez it's really fun to watch her here she's having a blast there's a couple little twists with um that character yeah having a blast I did not intend that one yeah yeah <laughs> no <made> a face <laughs> um there's a couple little things uh twists with that character that i really enjoyed that's martinez play um jackie earl haley as the terror um in those flashbacks and everything just the character design for that mm-hmm. character is, is terrific and um i th- i thought i knew where they were going with some of the superior stuff but it, i'm gonna have to wait for we're all gonna have to wait for the second half of the first season Okay. To get 
anything more with him. He doesn't play a big part of this sure. um, first half. So don't expect much of him. That's coming in the second half. But it, but it's, it's pretty fun. How are you feeling about, because um, I didn't recognize him at all. How are you feeling about Ramsey the Fourth and his violent oh, I know, right? obsession? But yeah, I really did not recognize. Uh, how do you pronounce his Michael Servers? Yeah, Servers. Yeah, I did not recognize him at all in the tracksuit <laughs> and yeah. the branding. The vi- it's very important. <laughs> it's very important. Well, and as soon as they uh, the that whole conversation, it's a conversation that happens early in episode two. I want to say, or maybe episode three. No, it's um, episode. It's episode two, I think. With yeah, with Miss Lintz and yeah. Ramses about eye stuff and like branding. It's just it's super duper fun, and he knows exactly how to play it. Um, he's you know obviously you give that kind of stuff to Michael Service, and he's going to nail it. <laughs> the guy was Sweeney Todd of Broadway. He's a pretty good actor, um, and uh, and so there's just the comedic beats of that like the this is such a silly show that if you weren't careful it could fly off to nowhere yeah um and and just be quirky with a capital q um and i think they managed to ground it in a pretty effective way to have some you of that just whimsy keep making this lint puns and it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> i do how about that i'm delighting myself because the other option is lots of groaning um the other thing i will mention is i enjoy the score quite a bit it's a very jazz it's, it's heavier in the pilot than anywhere else but it's a more jazzy kind of fun score and the opening credits are this are kind really of soul nice. bass yeah thing yeah it's really it's soul bass inspired i should say um and it's it's a fun way to go it's different than maybe you would expect maybe it's more of a comic book approach and but i think it suits this this version of the show so i really enjoyed these and and like just there's these moments of character for some like dot like dots in a a uh, roller derby team doesn't come back but you know she's the kind of person who does roller derby which is i appreciate that they found space right. for that you know um i'm hoping that we'll get even more shading for some of these characters um in the next half of the season but i, I thought it was a really solid first half Cool, and I look forward to just texting you endlessly while I'm watching the other, the remaining episodes I have. <laughs> Please do. Please do. I look forward to your thoughts. Um, okay, let's move on to the Rex finale, Nerds mm-hmm. Week, and especially with just, like, some of the conversation around Whedon and how that extended out to the conversations about Xander and some of these other characters on uh, Whedon Works. Uh, the fact that we had the, the friend zone, like, Corey psycho in, in this direct finale. It was, Don't say it. It worked so well. Don't say it. <laughs> Don't say friend zone. <laughs> like this, I loved it so much. It was it was so fun. Uh, I thought that the, the pivots they took this season for Rekt ended up really working, even if the start of the season was a bit slower, didn't maybe work quite as well as the first season. Um, but yeah, I, I had super amount of fun with this direct finale and was very pleasantly surprised with where they ended things. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I enjoyed it too. I felt like a, some things sort of, I think a lot of what I sort of suffered with, with the finale goes back to like the first half of like the whole dream team thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I never really felt like the disc, the character, actual character disconnect between them. Um, just the, they had different things going on and I understand they like managed to like loop it all back together, but it never felt connected and i felt like i had to do a lot of work to like get to the emotional place that was necessary for them to have this come this reunion sort of moment um and that i think weighed down like a like the first like 
third of this episode for me. But the rest of it, like with um, once once we've established that Corey's insane and we're running around the boat and we're hitting him with a giant chili pepper and hitting <laughs> pulling killing. a Florence. Come on, that was amazing. It was very good. It was very funny and excellent physical comedy. No, it was really really good physical comedy and also just ridiculous because it's just like. Why are you still concerned with him not having his pants and having <laughs> not just shot him? And but it all it all worked really really well. I liked the stuff on the boat with the money, but then I I, I was really sad about what happened to Emma. But I'm it, I'm excited about the fact that they're on most dangerous game island apparently, <laughs> and I'm excited to see what this show can do with that. And also just the uh, the very obvious cast culling that they've done. But the fact that any of the people who got away from the boat could have also just ended up on the island as well at some point show up is mm. really good. So yeah. even if it's not going to be Aaron Hayes coming back and that character <laughs> being played by someone else this season, which was, would have been such a good idea, Kate. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, how, are you excited about Most Dangerous Game Wrecked edition? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, though I gotta say, I would not have, like, it was CGI face or whatever, I would not have understood that was supposed to be Ginger Gazaga at the end, if her name didn't pop up, like, right before then on the credits. I was like, huh, oh, I guess they're gonna end on with her her on the console or something, and then no. No, no. But uh, maybe we'll get some flashbacks or something, that'd be fun. That would Um, be really fun, because I love that character and her, so I was waiting for that to come back, and it never did, and I'm I'm kind of upset that she's been beheaded and mounted. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe it is a mask that's been made of her because she's still it's one of the people that whoever's there is hunting and that's why i didn't actually look that much like her (laughs) not just bad cgi i'm willing to go with that thank you for giving me false hope next you're going to tell me this has been renewed for season two in my heart (laughs) um yeah adding florence to the dream team when they get all three of them working together was a lot of fun and I yeah. look forward to the that rapport um moving forward and you know we'll see we'll see what happens next but they, I, it was smart to call the team uh, Jermaine Clement was delightful um for, for his few more moments of glory uh, on, on land running around I was just like oh how are we gonna die because you don't have the budget for him yeah you're way <laughs> too famous for this yeah. so yeah yeah yep, yep, yep. it was super fun to watch him and restart because have you seen Jermaine Clement's uh what we do in the shadows where he's like a vampire I haven't even heard of this yeah. Okay, it's it's a it's it's a mockumentary that's like a a real world kind of show following three vampires in a house uh, or four vampires. There's like a Nosferatu, like they're the different styles. There's like an okay. Anne Rice vampire. There's it is different ones, um, and it's hilarious. And Reese Darby shows up as like a leader of a pack of werewolves at one point, and it's it's delightful. So it was very fun to watch them interact here and listeners i highly recommend what we do in the shadows i watched it a while ago on on like i think it was on amazon prime i don't know if it's still there but seek it out it's like 90 minutes or maybe something like that and it's delightful um but yeah like you said as soon as he's dancing around on the sand a little bit of distance away from them you're like well is it gonna be a sniper or is it gonna be a i was waiting mine? for a sniper i was waiting for a sniper yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> so based on this season, I think, and, and their willingness to change up and not be so committed to it has to be Desert Island. Yeah. You know, I think it speaks really well to the writer's room and the, the flexibility of the of the showrunners. 
Um, so we'll see what they do next season. But I'm certainly on board for season three. I am too. Um, even if, like, again, I think, like you said at the top, the first half was sort of iffy. But I, I was much more on board once they got on the boat. Which I know yeah. was only, like, yeah. the last, like, four, three to four episodes of the season. But I was very on board once we got on the boat. Interestingly enough. Yeah. Interesting. You, <laughs> when you got aboard, you got on board. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Next up is Survivor's Remorse, uh, which started its fourth season, and this was a terrific premiere. I was like chuckling out loud and really um, connecting emotionally with the characters in the first two minutes of this premiere. And again, this is—I was tweeting out about this. This has got to be one of the best and most underseen or overlooked show comedies just shows but definitely comedies of the past four or five years i would say it's it's that good it's that funny um it's that insightful so uh seek it out everyone for those who don't know it follows a young basketball star who gets signed to a team the owner of the team is chris bauer and uh and, and so there's some interactions there's tensions between you know this this young player and his family he gets signed for this like insane multi-million dollar deal and so he moves his whole family to uh you know out out of their neighborhood that very poor <laughs> background um and um and his one you know his his best friend is his manager and and so there's it, it got some comparisons to entourage when it first started um but it's not that because it's good <laughs> and it's not just about entitled people being douchey um there's a lot of really insightful uh conversations about about race about gender about economic status about uh the ways that you change and the ways that you stay the same through different circumstances and you know how much you're defined by your past and your present uh there's a lot of really great cultural conversations um and it's just it's also really funny and it's another show that's not afraid to shift in tone or to uh, just tackle different issues and then decide something's interesting and stick with it and make that a thread for the next season. So uh, I, I don't want to say too much about it because um, there's the, they took a turn in the first couple seasons are more straightforwardly com comedic. And then they, they took a turn at the end of season two, beginning of season three and got, things got a little more dramatic. And then by the end of season three, there's some stuff revealed that season three really addressed um being a parent fathers and sons uh sins of the father passed down to the son that kind of idea and struggling with not having a father figure in your life and that some of those threads are continued here in the the new season and in the first in the first episode specifically so uh yeah isaiah washington joins the cast as uh the the main characters uh deadbeat dad who is invented not dead but he's been in jail um his entire life and so he he's looking to maybe start a relationship with him and the mom has thoughts on that um and yeah m chuck who is his sister is you know exploring her paternity um and then the best friend who's the manager has a his dad was drunk and so he's dealing with you know a lot of rage towards his father um because they haven't gotten into the specifics yet but obviously it's a very sore subject so um there's a lot of really great great stuff 
going on the show and it's also funny i just it's so easy to hone into the dramatic stuff um but the way that they blend that with <laughs> with the mom plunging a toilet that she has clogged because she can't she refuses to go ask her boyfriend's parents for help even though they have like a bajillion staff who would take care of it for her she's like no i'm making a good impression so she's standing in this fabulous bathroom in this gorgeous ba- uh, bathrobe plunging an overflowing toilet oh man yeah there's there's a lot of really really funny stuff going on and i look forward to to seeing what this new season has to offer it just it's just one of the shows that it came back and no i saw one person tweeting about it and nobody talked about it as one of their shows so they're most excited to come back and when i see lists of oh the best shows you're not watching or the best shows i haven't seen yet or these are the funniest shows out there like this is almost never on the list if it's if it's a white critic um and that is depressing because it's a really it is that good of a show so listeners if you get stars watch survivor's remorse i just i'm gonna keep saying it 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 did make me feel bad maybe that i should have Noel made you watch survivor's remorse Ah. instead of catastrophe for next week but it's it's too late it's too late so i will move on i already watched all three seasons of catastrophe (laughs) yes and i look forward to talking about it with you next week but we need to move on for now. Uh, People of Earth, the truth hurts. We finally got more Ozzy. We did. And then Ozzy got shot and thrown into a tree. And then the preview for next week is, Ozzy's dead, guys. Here's a funeral. And I just kind of went, oh. Oh, okay. Well, that explains some things. Maybe if this sticks. If it sticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I was watching this is like, because of how they've played this, I I could either totally see that happening and them sticking and like he want White Snack yeah. wanted off the show when that's why they pivoted to more an ensemble feel and that's why he hasn't yeah. he wasn't at Comic Con and these other things. You know, I could definitely see that happening. Or it's a fake out. I could also see that happening. Yeah, and that's kind of where I landed is exactly like the same thought process, especially regarding Sanak's presence on the show and the shifts this season was it's just like he wanted mm-hmm. off and he hasn't been around a whole lot. So we figured out a way to get him out. <laughs> just took us five episodes to get yeah. there, but we figured out a way. And so <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Like I'm not the, the, I, we've discussed how the show sort of struggled without a center, really. Um, at least it's definitely struggled for me without a center of Ozzy. And, uh, so we'll see how this goes, but I, I, I'm ex- I was excited about like someone getting into the conspiracy a little bit and us getting like a clearer sense of like the takeovers already happened. We're on to phase three now. That's what we want to stop because <laughs> that part never really goes all that well. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'll be interested to see how the rest of that thread sort of plays out, but I really want to make sure like everyone's character-wise is like really on board with how we go forward. Um, since again, like we really discussed like last week, is how much of the show was really sort of character-driven and hasn't been as character-driven this season. So I enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed like all the Russian stuff with Foster. Um, was really fun. Um, chair chair anything i say is going to sound sinister <laughs> and yeah no so that that i really enjoyed all that uh so i i would actually kind of like maybe foster become the new center of the show um and mm-hmm. I, that i think has a lot of potential so if they're going to stick with the ozzy is dead thing um i would like foster to become the new center of the show i think that would be really exciting 
yeah yeah i think it could work definitely yeah um the the only thing i'll i'll mention is just how unabashedly delightful brian husky oh God, is when he's so good in, in the car it's like nancy <laughs> uh that was it was a lot of fun uh yeah Definitely. Uh, let's move on to Younger, and that's our last uh, episode for the week in comedy and the incident at Pound Ridge. The only thing I have for this one, two things, three things. The actually. only thing Not I have Maggie. about this. Wait, no, two. Wait, three. <laughs> well, because I wasn't going to, like, it was like, well, I have to say that there's, like, no Maggie, and that's a yeah. problem. So, clearly. Also, uh, Claire, I like Claire, but I had to look this up because I don't have a great ear for accents. So I was like, I want to make sure she's not Irish, but she's she's from the UK, but she's, I think, mm-hmm. English, British, I think English, but I'm going to say British because that's less specific, just in case. But um, some of the dialogue they were giving her almost felt like, they're like, well, let's make sure we give her things that stress Irish vowels. Like, it was a little, like, I was having some trouble with, with that. Like, why is she from Ireland? Why does she have to be right. from Ireland? If... You know, it was it just me? Does the does her accent bother you at all? It doesn't bother. Maybe it's accurate. It doesn't I don't know. Bother me, but I I do agree that they, I feel like they're laying the Irish on a little thick. To the point where I, if they hadn't just done the Amy thing, Amy Montana thing, I would think that maybe something like that is headed our way. Ah, but ah, but they just ah, did that, ah. so I don't think they are. Um, and the only other thing I'll mention for this, which was the initial point I wanted to make, is that I was wrong. They are not going exactly the way I anticipated. Um, where he reassures Liza, Charles reassures Liza that he is not going to get back together with his wife and then decides he needs to do that. Um, instead, they're having Liza push him into doing that by having her randomly, everything has changed. Everything has not changed now. Nothing has changed now. You just met his wife that you knew existed, um, and she's not horrible. But just because she's not horrible doesn't mean that there's not very good reasons that they aren't together. And, like, abandoning your daughters, your young daughters for a year is a very good reason for someone to not want to trust you as, as their co-spouse and as their spouse and co-parent. Come on. Right. And passively aggressively re-entering their lives through a book, as opposed to, I, I want to make contact with you as a human being. Oh yeah. <laughs> Super controlling. And, yeah. Which is like really where I was landing on this is just like, wow, yeah, I'm not really liking how manufactured all of this is. It's like hyper-manufactured. And I'm not jiving with it at all. And I, I, I just really didn't particularly like this episode um, for like all the reasons you've outlined regarding uh, his, his uh, wife coming back. And Liza's response to that is just, again, like not working for me. But then, like, no Maggie, which was a problem. But also just the fact that I was just like, as soon, as soon as she touched the peppers, like in the restaurant, I just immediately went, oh God, no, we're going to, maybe they won't do this. I've only been watching the show for really eight weeks or nine weeks. They're not going to, I trust them enough not to, oh, they did it. And at least they didn't have Kelsey eat any of the yogurts. Which is yes, what I was expecting. Which was, which was really nice of them. Um, but I also just, I was also just screaming at the screen. It was just like, just get some milk. Everyone knows it's milk. It's yeah. not water. You get a dairy product of some kind. And that's how yeah. you handle this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that you're taking so long to Google, mm-hmm. it makes me really concerned about everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Indeed. Okay. Uh, what wins your re- your recon um, comedy? Give it to the wrecked finale, just be- for like the boldness and the willingness to shift um, gears. Is definitely as generally the show is seems willing to do and makes me excited for season three. So I'll give it direct. Uh, what about you? What won your week? Uh, well, Insecure was great again. I don't really have anything to say about it, but it was, it was terrific again. And Rick and Morty was awesome and super fun. They did an episode, uh, an adventure with the dad. Uh, <laughs> Rick took Jerry on an adventure and it was, it was delightful. Um, but I got to give it to Survivor's Remorse. I'm so glad it's back. Um, so yeah, it wasn't that close for me as much as I did really enjoy several of these episodes and, and the new season of The Take, but definitely Survivor's Remorse. Check it out, people. Seek it out. Put it on your list. Now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. In genre and drama, we're going to talk a bit about the premiere of Halt and Catch Fire, So It Goes, and Signal to Noise. Then I'll talk briefly about Game of Thrones, Beyond the Wall, and Twin Peaks, The Return Part 15. Uh, we'll both talk a little bit about The Sinner, and then move over to Winona Earp, Gone as Girl Can Get, and we'll round things out with a spoiler-filled conversation about The Defenders Season 1. All of the spoilers, so many spoilers. We'll do another little warning before then, but if you haven't seen all of The Defenders, you don't want to be spoiled. Uh, when we get there, you're going to want to skip ahead to the next chapter and listen to uh our, our end of show segment so first up is halt and catch fire so it goes signal to noise <sighs> it's nice to have this show back i know right it is like i i'd kind of forgotten it was coming back on, on a saturday no less mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so like i turned on my dvr and i was like well my cable box and everything and i was just like Oh, what? Oh, I, I just assumed like it had blipped and recorded a rerun, and then I just wait. No, it's back. It's back. It's two <laughs> episodes. Yay! Um, so no, I was very excited. Um, and it, it didn't feel like the show had left. Like a lot of its tricks are still there. It's just like, guys, we're going to invent Google. Guys, we're going to invent Google. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> and I just went, oh, show. I love it when you do this bullshit. It's so good. Um, but no, but what was more important than anything was catching up to see where our quartet of characters were after, like, I want to say maybe like a four to five year time skip. Mm -hmm. Because we're like, we're like in the early to mid nineties at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because AOL is starting to just appear everywhere. Well, Fresh Prince (laughs) of Bel-Air, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So... But no, so I really liked how the show, in particular, like, just went, you know what, guys? Gordon's going to be your likable character right now. <laughs> and I just went, 
wow and you kind of managed to do it too Mm -hmm. and i it was just it was really good to have it back um and when you dig in the big thing i will say is that i'm really glad that these were both paired together um just from like a pacing standpoint if we had gotten a week between so it goes and signal the noise i kind of would have been like but signals and noise was just cameron and joe talking on the phone for an hour but i was i would have been totally fine totally here for that yeah which i think i probably would have been okay with like overall but mm-hmm. i'm glad that it got paired together just from like an emotional arc perspective yeah. especially for joe um that it was really important for them to like for this to be a proper two-parter in a lot of ways just emotionally Mm -hmm. uh to reestablish that connection between cameron and joe in a way that didn't feel had a week slag basically Mm -hmm. and so yeah i I was just really glad that these got paired together uh so how did you feel about like the time skip gordon or like what else like stood out to you um do you want to play cameron's game (laughs) <laughs> no um but you know what i think is really impressive well i hope first of all i hope they come back to uh were we supposed to see when we when he was looking over at the game were we supposed to understand that that was the actual ending or is there another ending he has that they were gonna f- figure out later and that'll be you know what i mean like was that some breakthrough emotionally? Is like ah, that's why at the end you go back to the beginning and you're just looking at the stars, or is it like ah, I understand. I've only begun to unravel the layers, and do you think they're going to come back to the game? I think it's both. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, fair enough. Um, what I am super impressed by about this show in the writing and the performances and the direction and editing of this show is that they have me super on board with Cameron and Joe after mm-hmm. hating Being, Joe yeah entirely and and like and I buy the progression and I do feel like he's changed like yes. like he's been affected by the time that has spanned the sheer, the show's run I think that's so important and so much more interesting yep. um and that I would love an ending that saw the real heart of the show back together which is Donna and Cameron, but I don't know how that could possibly happen. I look forward to if they manage to do that. That would be great, but uh, I would certainly love it. But um, I just think it's so impressive that they've taken something that had me like yelling at my TV last season Mm -hmm. uh, of like, no, mommy and mommy, don't fight. Um, And ignore Joe. He's Joe stupid. Tom is awesome. Joe's stupid. Go away. You're going to ruin everything <laughs> to being like super like, like they really sold the ways in which they understand each other and other and the others don't. Um, and so I thought that they needed to give as much time to that rapport as they did in that second episode yeah. to get us fully on board. Um, and certainly with where the rest of the season's likely headed. Um, I'm glad that they spent that time. No, it is. It's really good that they spent that time. And, and like, it wasn't to disparage the episode, but... And, oh, no, like, no, no, what but... The, right, yeah. Just, like, a pacing-wise, for me as a viewer, it's just really important that that be, like, smushed together the way it was. Yeah. But, no, it's super important, because I'm in that same boat with you. Like, Joe's terrible. He's the worst. Mm-hmm. Gordon, and, he's going to destroy you again. <laughs> right, or he's... Yeah, and so seeing, like, that progression of time for all of these characters... And as deftly as they're able to establish these changes in each of them, from Gordon being 
a responsible parent and business leader mm-hmm. to uh, Joe's obsession with uh, just like becoming obsessed and borderline slovenly for Joe to, and especially for Joe, like who's always been very put together depending on like the time period that he's in. He has a sort of 90s grunge thing, but it's not working in the same way all his other aesthetics worked. And it's more pathetic and less of a feeling of a mask than the other versions were. This felt more legitimate, and that was really significant. But then also we've got corporate raider slash Dan, my friend Danielle referred to her as an IP vampire of Donna, and just how really wonderfully horrible she is. Mm-hmm is amazing just her whole manipulation of her team to get to the idea that she's stealing from joe and gordon is just amazing and it's handled really quietly and i just really love it i love it i love it i love it and so how everyone gets rearranged and resettled is really is really nicely done the cameron stuff i think works generally well the the like the hiccup for me is just how much of the Tom stuff is has to be done off screen yeah. to get to all of this is one of those is like the shortcut that's necessary that I kind of just sort of side at, but at the same time it's just like, but it's it's so necessary that we don't get hung up on this because we need to get all of this done because we only have like ten episodes everyone. <laughs> um so so I can sort of like let it slide a little bit. Um but everything else is just like all the stuff with that we get with Boz and the conflict that's going to be set up between him and Tanya, uh, the uh, leader, the assistant turned leader turned back to assistant, mm-hmm. and just everything that's going to happen in that in that uh, VC firm. I'm very here for. Like yeah. I'm here for all of it. I'm here to watch. Donna drill down and circle back to and destroy that ass hat. <laughs> yeah, what was it? Shane or something? <sighs> no, it was some, it wasn't Shane, but it wasn't Trevor either. Trip. It was, it was Trip. It was Trip. It was Trip. It was it was very country club. <laughs> and yeah, I can't wait for that to happen. Yeah. It's just gonna wash over me and it's going to be glorious. But I'm I'm here for like all elements of the show again. Mm-hmm. And I'm so excited that the show's back. Yeah. And I'm eager to see them fight AOL. I'm eager for them to invent Google. And I, I want mommy and mommy to get back together again, just like you said. Yeah. And I, it's not going to happen. <laughs> no. Uh, was that Chris Lowell that we saw in the first episode? Yes, it was Chris Lowell. Oh, I okay. can't wait for him to come back. <laughs> I know. No, as soon as as soon as soon he's like hanging out in the background, I just went, is that, is that, is that Piz? And I texted my friend Danielle and just enlisted went, him. <laughs> Don't slander him with Piz. Piz is a per- oh, we're we gonna fight about Piz. Yeah, because another, like another time, another time. <laughs> Clearly, okay. we have to make a Patreon just for all these other conversations we want to have. <laughs> oh. uh, uh, uh. Uh, so no, so I texted her and she's like, "Yeah, no, he's in this." And I just went, oh, "Yay!" <laughs> so I, I'm excited to see where um, Crystal resurfaces. But yeah, I'm 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 just excited about all of this. How did you feel about? Because I tweeted about this and you favorited it a little bit. Um, so how did you feel about the boss stuff in particular? Because it's a really cliche written given the circumstance in which it all happens in. Of I made a massively bad investment and now I need money from all of my friends or a job, please and thank you. Mm-hmm. But Toby Huss makes it work. 
He's so and good. He's so good. And that was kind of where I landed on it while I was thinking about the episode. It was just like he has like three scenes across these episodes. Mm-hmm. And two of them are him begging for a handout of some kind. And they it shouldn't be good because, again, it's just massive cliche stuff. But Huss makes it all work really, really well that I didn't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was another arc that benefited from having those two back-to-back. Uh, <laughs> I loved the just watching Donna appreciate Boz in that the start of that pitch was just wonderful and it's so genuine and so heartfelt and then then it the the scene turns and it's so it's so harsh and you want to be like donna come on come on he's absolutely right i mean maybe it's too late but he's absolutely right that they do that you you would make a killing if you could scale down the price on this stuff right Right, and that's the thing is, it's not too late. It's actually probably a little too early mm. because, like, again, she's like, right? Is like Garmin's got such a lock on this, and it is too expensive. So it's weird to think about the idea that this is something that they can do really, and also that people will buy it mm-hmm. still. So I thought it was like too early, but it's it's in that weird sort of technical innovation space of probably both. Yeah. 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 No, it's so that, and, but then you partner that with the scene, um, with, uh, with Gordon and then, and House nails it, uh, the little rapport with, uh, Diane, where you can see that there's a strain there, um, mm-hmm. at the party. And then the scene at the end where Boz is the interloper and you, he's still telling that those same stories and you still love Boz, but your heart is with Tanya so yes. much. Um, yeah, I, the, the quiet dignity and earnestness of Huss's performance, especially in the Gordon scene is just marvelous. And it's the kind of thing like that kind of delivery, uh, and specific, just enough, like the layering, like yeah. just enough, um, is what, what makes that character sing. Um, yes. so I look forward to more opportunities for <laughs> The gang back together, you know. I need, yeah. I need more Cam and Boz. I need, you know, some of these other things. So I'm hoping that the season will deliver that. I, I gotta say, I loved, I, I continue to love the stuff, the way they're handling the the co-parenting of yes. Gordon and Donna yeah. and the kids being the specific kinds of messes that they are. I think is very yeah. appropriate. Um, I, I love the the at the dinner. She gets the salmon and he orders it too. It says so much about them. Mm-hmm. Um, Gordon, you need to know what kind of food you want, you know, to go yeah. run away bride for a second. How do you like your mm-hmm. eggs? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I there's so much they could do with this last season. They could yeah. get the gang back together. They could go full villain for Donna. They could go uh, self-destructive train wreck or coming through everything somehow now at the end with with Cameron and Joe and with Joe and Gordon like there's so many different things they could do and I would believe any of them uh, if executed well as the show has shown us that they will so I can't wait to see what the rest of the season has to bring 
Yeah, I can't either. And just like I'm, I'm excited for all that. I'm excited also for like what you alluded to right at the top is like Boz is an interloper and realizing he's an interloper and not being comfortable with that because I feel like that's something he would be not particularly happy with. But he's not in a position to step aside either. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm really. I'm really excited to see how he navigates that, but I'm excited to see how they all navigate all of this because like you said, like, and I was saying this at the end of season three, where I was just like, I'm so here for Donna as the show's antagonist. Mm -hmm. And I still am. (laughs) And I I could see her going full villain and the show just embracing that. And I'm, I'm really here for it, but it's like you, it's still, like you said at the top is where, the fact that I'm excited about Joe and Gordon again on this show yeah. <laughs> is just a testament to the fact that of how, especially for me as someone who watched season one and was just like ready to burn it down like it was a truck full of computers, which mm-hmm. is what happens at the end of season one. Yeah, I still haven't um, seen the second half of season one. Oh, God, no, don't. Um, <laughs> is Yeah, you're, you're so good. You're so good. Um, that... I am suddenly excited about Joe and Gordon as partners again. It just speaks so much volume to how very quickly the show managed to rejigger itself and figure itself out in a really exciting way. So, yeah. uh, so excited for more of this. Yeah. I may have to actually like stay up and watch it. <laughs> Ooh, watch it live. You know what's interesting? It made me think of our discussion, um, the discussion that I, not our discussion, but the discussion that, we, that I had uh, with friend of the show, Emma Fraser, about uh, Tatiana Maslany on Orphan Black and several of the cast, but specifically Jordan Gavaris and uh, uh, Carl Brun. No, uh, the actor who plays Donnie. Last name is Brun. Um, the way that they shift their chemistry with each other depending on which clone Maslany is playing mm-hmm. and how insanely like amazing that is how do yeah. you two actors just like have completely different chemistry because that's such a that's just such an ephemeral thing like you can't it's hard to control that but they managed to really dramatically do that believably on Orphan Black I think the same thing is true here with Halt and Catch Fire and the because of where we find the characters at, they have totally different chemistry, but still just as interesting and just as electric um, now in the fourth season. So we'll see what, where they go next. Yeah. Um, so tell me about what happened beyond the wall in game of Thrones. Okay. I'm gonna keep this um, short. And also, but also tell me like, I, like I saw some tweets about this. Am I, am I supposed to be expecting incest on this show? Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, I know that it's been there, but am I expecting new, new incest. incest? Yeah, you're expecting okay. new incest, and here's why. It's because okay. Jon Snow, um, okay. who is making hard eyes at and being made at hard eyes by Danny Daenerys Targaryen, our secret aunt and nephew, but they don't know it. Because uh, Jon Snow... So how, do, how do we know that, then? We know that because we know, Jon Snow is, is a bastard, right? But right. we know through flashback and through very clear... Like, obviously foreshadowed in the books. Um, okay. Like, what, like it's, just, it's just very clear in the books that um, Jon is not Ned's son. Right. Uh, he's He is Ned's nephew, but uh, the... The father, and, and it's because Ned's sister, which you may remember, you know, from the little bit of the show you watched, uh, because I Robert, don't, but go on. okay, Robert Baratheon <laughs> was uh, was supposed to marry Ned's sister, um, and right, and right. was very madly and deeply in love with her, 
Um, She got kidnapped by Rhaegar Targaryen, who was the heir to the the Mad King. Um, Okay. And then uh, what, what you find out through like mentions here and there that you can piece together is that, and they, they mentioned this on the show uh, last week or that Rhaegar divorced his wife and legally got remarried. They don't say to Lyanna Stark, but we know it's to Lyanna Stark. So that makes John the legitimate son. And like, it's so the, like she didn't, Lyanna didn't get kidnapped. She ran off with the man that she loved, which was Rhaegar Targaryen, who was already married okay. at the time, married to okay. one of the princesses of Dorne. Um, okay, and so because of the kidnapping of Lyanna, that that sparked the the war where Breath, where Robert overthrew the Mad King to go save his beloved, and she died in in uh, she was killed or she died in childbirth, um, giving birth to Jon Snow. But if okay. if they had said what the actual parentage was, Robert very likely would have killed the kid. He would have insisted, oh, it was a rape and it was horrible and this abomination can't live and all this stuff. So that's why Ned said that it was his son out of this deathbed promised to his sister. Which makes John's actual father Danny's older brother. Okay. But again, they like, here's the thing, like, you can't root for incest and all these different things. Like, obviously it's gross and yucky and squicky and all these things. But I always feel like when they do these kinds of things, it's like top of the lake. It's the kind of thing like... They never met each other until they were grown adults and they're the same age. I feel like that is a very different thing than, like, what we're seeing with Cersei and Jamie. You know what I mean? Like, yes, still squicky and gross, but not on the same level of this is someone you grew up with, this is someone you knew your whole life as your family, and then, like, you turn things sexual. Like, it's a very different thing. So that's that's why you're... You should expect incest on the next episode, on the season finale. Okay. Does that make sense? All right. That does, well, no, but I was able to track most of that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now to actually talk about this penultimate episode, yeah. I'm yeah. going to keep it very short because the internet like had my back on this, which I appreciated most of the internet. There's plenty of the internet that I did have somebody on Twitter trying to mansplain to me last week or the, and, and Caroline Sita, friend of the show, Caroline Sita about how the only reason that I was upset with the way they the show was writing Sansa and Arya was because um, they were women, and if they had been men, I wouldn't be so up in arms about it. And women are so, like, picky because it's male writers. We say that they can't write women's. Anyways, I, got, I was being called a, a sexist for not appreciating the writing for Arya and Sansa, but I think you need look no further than a basic Google search to do that pretty much everybody else agrees the writing for these two characters in this episode specifically, but the previous episode as well, was just bad. It's just, oh, it's just bad. Arya talks about um, she's got all this hatred or anger towards Sansa because she saw their father executed, and Sansa was up there and looking all dressed up pretty. and And I remember how how nicely you sat there as our father was executed. Thing, but. We watched it. We watched that season. We watched her, like, wailing on the floor. You know, like, she wasn't standing and smiling all pretty when that happened. And the the fact that the show wants us to think that that, you know, like, the way that they play the scene, the show agrees with Arya. And it's Mm -hmm. stupid, because everybody else at home is going, like, not true, not what happened, Arya's smarter than that, Sansa's smarter than that. It's just this manufactured drama that they have so that we can be uncertain of 
what Arya's gonna do and they have all this there this all this tension and fighting between the two sisters when it just feels very strong like somebody who's never had a sister <laughs> never been a sister and when you look at the writing staff and it's just basically the two showrunners and occasionally a third or fourth person it's not too surprising that they don't know how to write sisters um it's just utterly unbelievable the show i couldn't think of a single set of, of women on the show who have ever been equals who respected and supported each other mm-hmm. there's a lot of characters on this show i was about to say that seems a little weird yeah yeah every it's like there's there's danny and and uh miss and but she's the queen and she's her handmaiden so like she right. works there's a, like, there's there's a power like dynamic there. an immediate power dynamic um you could say the queen of thorn like everybody's always all the women on the show are always vying against each other with just like a very few exceptions and when there are those very few exceptions there's always a power differential so Sansa and Arya was this opportunity for them to show women helping each other in as family and instead they're like trying to get us to support like buy them scheming after each other because of some really base level ham-handed uh, Machiavellian scheming from Littlefinger. We're all over Littlefinger, guys. I've seen wow. Aiden Gillen be way better on Queer as Folk. Like, I have to keep reminding myself that he's actually a very good actor, because what they're giving him is just so on the nose and not interesting. So that was bad. The other thing that was bad was all the time stuff where people are traveling across the entire continent in, are, like, 20 minutes. Why are people getting upset about that now when this was an issue in season one that drove me up the wall? Well, see, <laughs> that's why people are getting upset about it. Because in season one, they insisted on, well, it takes a long time to get everywhere, and that's why we're taking so long to travel. And then in the last season, they want to, like, teleport across the country. And like, they did that last season as well. And they're, like... They're upset that fans are nitpicking this. It's like, we wouldn't be nitpicking if you hadn't clearly established that those were the rules. You don't get to say those are the rules and then have a raven fly halfway across the continent and then Danny hop a dragon to fly the other halfway across the continent to rescue. Like, you don't know. No, it's stupid and it just draws attention to itself. That being said, I still was very emotional when Viserion got, got killed. I did not expect Dragon Death before the last season, or really, I, I was so connect, committed to, like, there's three dragons, and there's going to be three Targaryens, and they're going to be all riding dragons. It's going to be amazing. In the books, there's another secret Targaryen that's not in the, that they wrote out of the show. Um, so, okay. Yeah, so it was going to be Danny and John and somebody else, but but no, they're, but they're not doing that. Um, instead, we're going to have zombie dragons? Because somehow the zombies have giant massive chains that they can use to drag the dead dragon out of a lake. I don't know how they created those giant massive chains. And if they can forge chains, can't they build a freaking boat to sail around the wall? But we're not supposed to think about that, which is very frustrating. I do not like shows telling, expecting me to be stupid. Uh, but the, the fight scene itself was pretty good, and we'll see what happens next. That's all I got. I just wanted to bitch about the sisters thing and the time travel thing. Uh, for Twin Peaks, it looks like we might have Agent Cooper back, maybe, finally. Because he, we'll see. He fried himself with by sticking a knife into a socket. Um, so maybe, I don't know what that means, but maybe he's going to be back. Somewhat next week, we'll see. They they had a lot of very straightforward plot development in the last couple of episodes, and I think that's worked really well. I've appreciated the focus on um, on on in this episode, 
bad coop and um J- um david bowie's character jeffries mm-hmm. uh the the centrality of jeffries of course bowie's dead so now he's played by like this giant steam boiler thing <laughs> yes sure yeah, that's sure. how you, that's how you recast your David Lynch. It's like we don't yeah. have Bowie. What should we use? Let's use a. It looks kind of like a tea kettle, but it's massive. So let's, it's a boiler or something, and it's emitting steam, but it's that's shaped like numbers, but also a voice, and it's talking, and it's just like it's a guy. It's very yeah. Um, Twin Peaks is yeah. Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah. The, this, the small scale stuff in the town, I think, is working really well. And they had the final scenes shot for the, the log lady and the actress who plays that character passed away um, mm-hmm. not long after they filmed it. And what a beautiful and haunting and powerful last scene to have this discussion of what is death and I'm dying and this will be my last call. Uh, it's just absolutely lovely. Um, and that's just such a specific and heightened kind of character to the, the log lady, yeah. the delivery and everything. So to have this really lovely and thoughtful and, and deep, like ex- just monologue sort of about what life is and what death is, um, but delivered in the way that's true to that character was such an, su- such a neat element and such a powerful element to this episode. Uh, Yeah. Because you expect like, oh, now they'll, it's like the dramatic final scene. You know, that's what we expect from characters like this. But that's not what Lynch would ever do. So, yeah, it was really, yeah. it was really neat. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to, to specifically mention it. Let's move on to the center. The main thing I have for this, it's still exactly what we said as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I love that they cast Tim from Justified, Jacob Pitts, as the scumbag drug guy. Like, right? It's very exciting. I only got to so see a little, bit of it, a little bit of him at the end of episode three because I'm still a week behind. I caught up a little bit yesterday and then got ill and did not have like the brain space to watch <laughs> a slow-moving crime yeah. procedural. Yeah. So I watch beat Bobby Flay instead. Um, <laughs> but no, he he's like a really good just slime ball and it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Just in like the how he's provoking the husband uh, yeah. is really, really good. And I'm so is he he plays a larger part in he's in the next then? episode. Yeah. Yep. Okay. There's some and it looks <laughs> like he'll be in more too. So uh that's He's he's super fun and yeah, like you said, the husband. I just say Charlie from Girls, who has just made such a non-impression on me. Uh, uh-huh. But but I still like his stuff better than Pullman's stuff, which isn't really in the next episode. Which oh, so well, enjoy good. that about episode yeah. four. Did you, did you like his bird stuff? No, I don't like anything that's happening with Bill Pullman right now. And it makes me really frustrated because I really like Bill Pullman as a performer. Mm-hmm. And I I cannot believe I'm watching this show waste all of his kind of weird energy mm-hmm. that even Independence Day, when he has to play the president, found a way to use in some capacity. And this yeah. show cannot. And so that's really it's been really frustrating to watch that. And just, yeah, I'm I'm deeply frustrated by that character still. Yeah. That is the correct response. Uh, let's move over to Winona Earp, Gone as a Girl Can Get. And I thought this would be a more comedic episode. 
I was wrong. But the, you were. <laughs> I think what I can point to, because of course the template for this, as far as I'm concerned, is Buffy episode The Wish, where uh, Cordy wishes that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And so then right. you're getting this alt universe, and Xander and Willow are vampires, and uh, Giles has the Scooby gang, and they're, you know, like, and so they get this opportunity to do this really heightened other version. And, and we get some of that, but I think because. Doc is the character who's like the evil version of himself, but he's the one who retains his memory. It doesn't yeah. have that same fun of getting to watch the character, the actor just have a blast with it. We get a yeah. little of that with Waverly, but not very much. And I do think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. As glad as I am that they went a different way from Buffy, um, I do think that they missed some of the potential for this episode. No winning with you. I don't want you guys to be like Buffy. You guys were too much not like Buffy. Well, uh, you know, like it wasn't no, no, fun no. enough, you know? No, no, your critiques are totally correct in that, like, I mean, it's it's not very fun. There's no performance differences that anyone's showing. And what I ended up coming down to was the fact of, like, this is sort of, this is, uh, this is sort of interesting. But then at the end, it's just like, oh, this was just an excuse for you to bring Bobo back, is what it was. is like, mm -hmm. this is how we justified bringing Bobo back. And that, that was my realization that by the end of the episode, I just went, oh, you guys just needed that. That's what this was. It was sort of fun. I liked the ideas that you had sort of circulating here. And in particular, I liked the representation of remembering mm -hmm. that whole sequence of you, you're going to get to remember for like two to three seconds. And I liked how all of that was depicted. But then I was just like, but all I got was hot re pretending to like pickles. And that was amusing. Yeah. But... <laughs> But there wasn't much else to it beyond the plot machinations necessary to get to the end, which is what they wanted. Yeah. And that that was really frustrating was the fact that it was just so transparent in there were too many scenes visible in an episode that could have been like, to your point, really fun or could have been just a little more subtle mm -hmm. in what they were wanting to do to get to that point. Yeah. And having doc having to try to like reach out to rosita and to dolls and to be like no but i don't hate like and having him ver like validate the strength of, of his uh, affinity for them and connection with them yeah. worked really nicely but you just you needed to have more everybody else is too cardboard yeah, uh, and and Doc is one of the better and more interesting characters, and so if like if I were writing this episode, which nobody would want, because that's no, I don't know how to do that. Um, if I was helping break this story, I would have been. You got to give Tim Rosen more to do in yeah. this episode and push him more, and like I would have liked to see the actor who plays Jeremy get more to do and get to play off type a bit more. Um, I would like to see the villain version of Doc that they're all terrified of. Yeah. That would have been great to see. Mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't get that. Because you know he can do that. Oh, too. you like Absolutely. Could, you know that um, Rizan can find that thing in Doc mm -hmm. and make it just really scary. Yeah. And we didn't get that. Yeah, it's it was it was a weird it was a weird choice to make. Yeah, like imagine if instead of being dead, Nedley was mm -hmm. the one who knew. For right. some reason. Yeah. Would have been much more interesting. And then you, because yeah. then you go to have tension with Hot and Nedley of like, but he's 
the worst. Why are you saying like there's a lot or there's just different things they could have done. Um, yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. It was fine. But again, I that's how, sort of how I'm feeling about a lot of this season of Winona Earp. And we'll see what happens with the finale um, is that I'm enjoying so much of it. And there's so much they're doing so very, very well. I just keep I know it can be even better. And I keep hoping that they will find that next level to kick into. Yeah, and I, I was really expecting them to find a next level um, a little bit after they dealt with the uh, demon possession stuff. I really don't feel like they have, at least for me. And mm-hmm. it, it's been a, it's still fun, but I, I sort of feel like they haven't really shifted into a different gear, to your point, or they haven't grown a beard to like make the Star Trek Next Generation comparison. Yeah, and that's just. It's definitely a show that can do that, and I'm not feeling it yet. Yes, I hope that they do. They had the potential with the pregnancy storyline to go there, and there have been glimpses for me of it, but it hasn't. Like, I don't care about Bobo. It doesn't. Yeah. I don't. Nobody cares about Bobo. Um, yeah. I say that, but lots of people do. Lots of people <laughs> or, do, and I, I like that performance, but I, yeah. I don't need it here right now. Yeah. That's like show him waking up at the end of the season, you know. Yeah. But whatever. Uh, let's move on to the Defenders season right, one. So, full spoilers. Full spoilers. Where to start? Um, that it was kind of boring, and mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of that has to do entirely with the fact that as I've maintained since Daredevil season two, and why I drop almost dropped out of Daredevil season two, especially the second half, is the hand is just the dullest possible thing in the world i've maintained this in the comic books whenever i've read them in the comic books but they're so boring and ill-defined and not like i we were texting a little bit about this as i was finishing it up it's just like if this show can't give sigourney weaver anything like literally nothing to make alexandra feel distinct or to make her motivations for what she wants the hand to be. I don't know that she wants the hand to be anything Mm -hmm. is a massive problem. And we can just start there. I guess. Okay. What is black sky? Why are they making such a big deal about her? She doesn't seem demonstrably different or more badass than she was as Electra. Nobody cares. You just keep saying the black sky, the black sky. It doesn't mean anything just because you say it more or just because you get Sigourney Weaver to say it with import. Right. She has maybe some, like, extra superhuman strength, but there's it doesn't really seem to matter that much. Yeah, the show's full of people with superhuman strength. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, it it doesn't mean anything. And so her, again, spoiler alert, this is like the last one Mm -hmm. I will give. It's like her killing Sigourney Weaver's character was just like, oh, I didn't care, and I should care. Mm-hmm. When you kill the ostensible big bad of the season, all of a sudden. And that also, that was Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> but I didn't. And then there's not anything that really matters. And the whole thing was about literal fossil fuels for immortality. Was it? Like, it's kind of hard to, like, they're like, the, the substance is here. Something about dragon and don't look too hard. It's going to be poorly lit so you can't see anything anyway. I was about to say, I couldn't look too hard because I couldn't see any fucking thing anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, the, whole, yeah. the whole show, horribly lit. Like, it, right. it hampered so many of the fight scenes. Like, 
it should have oh, been so much that, better. Like, like there was some that, fun stuff. We will get to, there were some good things, we'll, but we'll get some fun stuff. But that fight scene in episode seven that takes place in like the parking deck or mm-hmm. like wherever the that lobby does, or wherever. Yeah. Where there's a math, it's not a lobby because there's so many cinder blocks there. Oh, you're right. You're <laughs> like, right. I'm thinking something else. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like, I, I lost a, it was really shittily edited because I couldn't mm-hmm. keep track of where anyone was, which was a problem. But it was so dark that it didn't matter. That wasn't helping anything either. But it also boiled down to the fact that all the stuff that I had issues with with the fight choreography and Iron Fist came roaring back. Mm-hmm. Anytime they had a fight in the Defenders because none of it felt like the fight scenes that are in Daredevil. Which, when you have two martial arts characters in Iron Fist and Daredevil... I expect you to do. I mean, you can make allowances for the fact that Cage and Jones are both brawlers, mm-hmm. which is where they're best suited. Mm-hmm. But when you're just hiding everyone in shadows and bad lighting and really bad editing, that just tells me you guys just didn't have time to rehearse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and just like the fight, like you need more specificity to the fighting style, to the strengths and weaknesses of the different characters. You can't just throw them all in there and just be like, yeah. and now fight, I guess. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't work. When, when Jessica is holding the cable together with the elevator and they're like, it's oh, really cool. wow. It's like, yeah, that is really cool. They shouldn't be surprised by that. They've seen that her was do my, That was my other thing. It's just like, have you not been paying attention, Danny, at all? Yeah. No, you haven't because you're Danny Rand. Because you're Danny Rand. Danny <laughs> freaking Rand. But no, the only good thing about the hand is that they spawned the foot in, in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's the only good thing about the hand. They're a horrible villain. They have no clear motivations. They're clearly not gone because they're going to keep Madame Gao around. And it's just... they're <sighs> who's, who's really, like, vaguely interesting? Mm-hmm. But that's because... It's a good performance, and that's it. It's a good performance, and that's it. But it's also just because Gal's been around forever at this point on this... She's She's been around throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I just... I like that character. I like that performance. But it was also just sort of like, I didn't know that she had telekinetic abilities, or I just missed it at some point. Yeah. Um, but hey, surprise, she does. Well, okay. She fight. Sigourney Weaver is immortal, but dying of cancer... Yeah. Air, yeah. Raised eyebrow? How does yeah, that well, work? Like They're all immortal. Yeah. <laughs> I guess unless their body die, but if their bodies can... Like, it doesn't make any sense. If they... Well, like, aging they, is just the cell's inability to regenerate itself. Right. Or the ability to regenerate yourself breaking down. So if, if their ability to regenerate themselves doesn't break down, then she shouldn't... Have cancer. Have cancer. Unless you want to say the fact that the... the like the cell mutated in them because it, they can't break it down it's actually worse you could get into that you could have some right. like but they don't but they don't they don't get into that they don't care about that instead they just watch you know we would just watch Sigourney Weaver stand in boardrooms like that one scene where you see her almost start to train a little bit mm-hmm. I was like oh the physicality of Sigourney Weaver yeah. awesome they're taking advantage of that that's so cool and then they never do any of that and you know like if Sigourney Weaver didn't want to do a fight scene like fair enough I get it but yeah that's it's such a waste. It's such a waste. Oh, man. It is. I mean, it's not to knock the fact that Sigourney Weaver is not wearing the shit out of her costuming. Because, because oh, God, she is. Lady All looks those fierce. Coats, lady looks super fierce. Um, <laughs> and 
I just the fact that she's able to at least display contempt and menace towards the other fingers of the hand, mm-hmm. especially when just just eating by herself is really impressive. Mm-hmm. But that's all she gets to do, and but there's no end game to any of it, which is no. what was deeply frustrating. Um, we had to talk about how terrible that dialogue is. Yeah, yeah, let's talk about that because it's, it's amazingly it's, bad. It's really super bad across the board. Um, and it doesn't yeah. like hit a certain point and get better. No. There's bad dialogue all the way through. Like I was looking at the, some of the, the credits on this, and I was like, oh, oh, come on! Again, some of my some of my Whedon alumni letting me down. The the show is uh, created by Doug Petrie and Marco Ramirez, and oh, man, Doug Petrie, like I know you're a better writer than this. <laughs> I I know you're a better writer than this. Uh, there's also one from Drew Goddard, who's another. Uh, we had an alumni who I also know is better than this and who directed the good place uh, pilot. I discovered mm-hmm. whenever you watched it with some people the other night. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't understand how people that I know that I know are better writers than this. Let this dialogue through. Did they just like write it in a weekend? It's it, like, it feels sort of like a, it, it, a lot of it does feel like super rushed in terms of like the writing, and this isn't to even get into like the fact that the side characters just feel super side. Um, but just dialogue-wise, to what we're discussing, it's just it's so broad and overly comic booky in a way that isn't pleasant to hear or listen to. And like you, when I was texting you about some stuff, uh, it was very much like. Yeah, they use the, but we're not that different, you and I, twice in the span of, like, two episodes, like, back to back. You don't get to do that. (laughs) Yeah, you don't get to do that at all. Um, Mm -hmm. You get to use it once, maybe, depending on the context. And depending on your camp level, you know, and how much you can sell it. Right. And Weaver kind of gets to sell it. But (laughs) it happens again. And you just go, oh, but... But I just heard it from the other guy. <laughs> so yeah, no, it all feels really rushed, um, and it all—it just it, it, the attempts at banter, particularly between Jessica and Matt, sometimes happen, but it feels super forced because they're like, oh, but Jessica's are Jessica's the smartass, so we need to give her smartass lines. And that's what it feels like, is like obligatory smartass lines instead of motivated smartass lines mm. of, we, we just need a snarky guy. And Jessica's our snarkster, so that's what she that's what she's going to get to do here, aside from brilliantly stealing drinks from homeless people. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should mention the other writer uh, this season is Lauren Schmidt. Uh, so that I've not mentioned three of the writers and not the four. There are four writers credited, at least on IMDb. Um, I will say that I thought the stuff with Matt and Jessica worked well because of the chemistry of Charlie Cox and Christian Ritter. I thought yeah. they worked really well together. And I thought actually some of the stuff they had for Danny and Luke worked in spite of Danny. <laughs> um, and I, I give credit on that to, to Mike Coulter and to Finn Jones when they let him play certain types of yes. Danny. Yeah. Like certain of like he's good at certain tones of that character. Yeah. Um, but so, so I did enjoy some of the, the banter when they were together. I liked the episode where they were in the, the restaurant and they were just like hanging out. That was, that worked surprisingly well. Um, but yeah, the two minutes of the characters dragging their feet to get involved too much. Um, like what, what is going on with Karen and Foggy? Like, 
This is not alcoholism. This is him, like, somebody is getting beat up and he stops it. That's, like, ugh. I, I think they, they've really written both of those characters into a corner in an unfortunate way that it's going to be really hard to salvage them. Um, I just... You're, it's a superhero show. Don't put us in the position of feeling like the two main supporting characters are stopping the char- our lead character from being the badass superhero we all want them to be. Right. But also just the fact that he, within the context of what was happening, like, he's not backsliding. It was a literal earthquake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, why does Claire not get a single scene with Matt? Oh, I know. I, I just, I know. I know. We get plenty of great stuff with Luke and Jessica. We can't have, like, a moment for Matt and Claire, if only because it has been proven through the series. Give any of these characters a scene with Rosario Dawson, and they will be better. Yes! Uh, she she makes everything so much better. It is scientific, um, <laughs> scientific Netflix fact. Right. It, it's empirical at this point, yes. is what it is. But yeah, she doesn't get a single scene. And it's super bizarre that she doesn't have one, considering that he's the one that kind of set her off on all of this in a lot of ways. Like, this is the yeah. domino that topples over for her to, like, get involved with everyone at some point or another through mm-hmm. this. And it's it's really frustrating that there wasn't any of that. But yeah, let's talk, let's try it. Was there anything else that didn't work before we, like, I guess, like, really dig into, like, the Luke and Jessica stuff really working. <laughs> uh, the, 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 yeah. The fight scene at the end with the very famous song, I can't remember what it is, the hip-hop song. Uh, was that Wu-Tang? Oh, uh, let's, the- let's talk about the fact that every time they queued up a hip-hop song, I thought shit was going to get real, and then shit never got real. Then it never did. That's <laughs> the thing, like, that's a great song, but the energy, it did not work in that fight scene for me at okay. all. And it's, it's such a shame, because... That's when, like, that's when it, that should take it next level, right? Right. Because they and, do it like it earlier in the season too with Luke, and it doesn't. It still doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anything else you have, or is it time for some more, so, um, a couple more nice things? Um, I don't really. It's enough to make me go that I don't care to find out how he survived. Mm-hmm. So I probably won't watch Daredevil season three. <laughs> Just based on this, but by God, I cannot wait for Jessica Jones season two and Luke Cage season two. I'll not be watching <laughs> Iron Fist season two, though. So yeah, let's talk. About, let's talk about some good stuff. Um, the, the Luke and Jessica stuff was wonderful. Oh God, it was so good, and like I really like how much of a tension there is in that, like the last little bar scene. Mm-hmm. I spent entirely on Jessica's side. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like really, it's like really delightful. Like you can see how they're going to be friends, but also the fact that Jessica's really sad that she just sort of let this go. Yeah. And I really liked how a really subtle that is from Ritter's performance, but B that she also understands that she can't get in the way again type yeah. of thing. Or not Mr. again, window. but doesn't want to get in the way. Yeah. She missed her window and she's very cognizant of that, that fact. And it's super mature and lovely. And I really like that this made room for them to have a resolution to what happened in Jessica Jones, since we reasonably could not get it in Luke Cage um, without Jessica getting deeper embroiled. But that had a lot more stuff to have happen, especially like established SD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I really liked all of that. It, it worked really, really nicely. And it, 
the problem, the ultimate, the problem, air quotes with it, is is that they clearly could do it. They just didn't for the rest of the (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I liked Misty and Colleen and Claire, even if they're so, so underwritten, so horribly underwritten. I still don't like Colleen as much as everybody else does. I don't even like the performance as much as everybody else does. I don't know what that actress could do if they actually gave her more interesting things to play. I I have no doubt that she could rise to the challenge, but I like... They just constantly keep defining her through Danny and through her mentor in this really unfortunate way. Like, I know nothing about her personality. Yeah, I don't either. And, like, I mean, you watch Charlotte Iron Fist, which is more of an issue than yeah. me having given up. And and but. the writing for Misty is paper thin as well. She's just there to be the yeah. cop. And then she's there to, I'll slow him down for ya. She's like there to be yeah. Gordon, basically. Uh, yes. And uh, Commissioner Gordon. Um, so I look forward to, you know, obviously she was terrific on Luke Cage. I'm sure they give her more to do. She can do more. I really liked what we got from her here just because of Simone Missick, not because yeah. of the script. Um, yeah. And this, obviously, as we've said, add Rosario Dawson to anything and she will make it better. So, because she was super fun. But that's about all I, that's about all I got. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a fair thing. Like, I mean, there's not a whole lot of other stuff that we haven't already touched on. Like, superheroes on a subway car is always solid. It's It's always going to be fun. Yeah. It's always going to be good. And the fact that they're just all three just kind of sitting there. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing thinking about the visual, which is, I think, like, the most important takeaway from it is, like, that's the visual I remember is the three of them looking kind of miserable sitting mm-hmm. on the subway and then Jessica steals a beer. That's, like, the big thing I really remember from this, apart from the big positive thing I remember from it. Um, now, but... does the fact that they already did that joke in Thor 2 strip it of any resonance or no? No, because... The Thor 2 joke is, like, kind of self-contained enough in that it has that whole, has the woman accidentally knocking up against him. (laughs) That, oh, you're in a little bit of lag. Okay, that's why. Um, That, that it sort of works. Um, Also, because Thor needed directions in that instance, and they don't need directions in this one. They're just just there sitting. Um, So, no, it, it, it felt distinct enough. But it's also just... You put Spider-Man on a subway car, and that was really good, too. So, mm. yeah, I, th- I think it's just a winning combination at this point. Fair enough. Uh, any final thoughts? Ah, uh, gosh, I, I, I kind of hope they never do this again. And yeah. that I just get, yeah, I, I, that I just get self-contained stories of each season. And uh, at least now I know just to watch Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. I would rather have them just do, like, the occasional crossover within their own shows. Mm-hmm. as appropriate mm-hmm. i think that there's a lot they could gain yeah. from that and again as my discussing of Whedon thinks has been a theme throughout this episode just sort of like they did on buffy and angel where they'd have a character like it wasn't always a main character it wasn't always angel yeah. or buffy but they'd have somebody go over for a couple episodes if it made sense that kind of a thing um right. which so- the Arrowverse does really effectively right now absolutely an excellent comparison yeah um i think that's the best way to get our dose of you know jessica and luke Without having to watch more Danny. So I think that's really no the goal. No more Danny. No more hand and no more Danny. Uh, so so what wins your week in drama and genre, Noel? Uh, I'm guessing clearly the, the Defenders. 
Yeah, no, it's totally Defenders. Uh, I really loved how nuanced its character development work was across and how it served <laughs> all four of its protagonists. You just uh, needed Danny, like you said. I just need, all of yeah. the Danny. Not no Danny, like we just said, all of the Danny. Um, no, but really, it's, it's Halt and Catch Fire, right? No, it's totally Halt and Catch Fire. It was, I think, our squeeze at the top of the segment. Uh, <laughs> kind of gave it away, but yeah, it was Halt and Catch Fire. I'm assuming it's the same for you as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely Halt and Catch Fire. A few show notes here at the end of our week in TV. You can find a post-up for this episode at theteleverse.org, the website for the podcast. You can leave a, a comment there and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, like the page, and start up a conversation there. You can find us with our M4A chaptered feed and our MP3 unchaptered feed in iTunes. And you can also find us in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. It helps other people find the show. Um, and, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. And now uh, that wraps up our Week in TV. So let's take a break and come back with a friend of the show, Dr. Elizabeth Bridges, to talk about Winona Earp Season 2. We'll be right back after this. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And joining us uh, on very short notice, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Bridges. We're joined by a friend of the show. Uh, She's kind of a big deal. Dr. Elizabeth Bridges, (laughs) uh, panelist at at Clexicon coming up this next year. And, of course, people will know her from her writings uh, in and around and about fandom. Um, Welcome back to the podcast. And thank you for coming on to talk Winona Earp season two with us. I'm happy to be here. So, uh, I we were planning to talk about season two next week, the way we on our normal schedule, like talk about the finale and maybe do like sort of a look back at season two. Um, and then I was like, mm, but don't we kind of have to have Doctor Bridges back on, seeing as she's pretty much the reason we started watching season one in the first place? And... Oh, am I? Am I really? That's oh, I feel so good about that. That's so nice. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. And and then I watched the finale, and I was like. Uh, this is an amazing finale. I wish the whole season had been this good, and I'm so glad that Dr. Bridges is coming on. So I pretty much love the finale. This will be an interesting conversation, for, or this interesting discussion for listeners, because they will have just heard us talking about the previous episode from last week, like a half hour ago on the podcast, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. at least on my part, being a little underwhelmed. Um, and, and so it's a bit of whiplash, but I really love this finale. So I want to hear first from Dr. Bridges. How did you feel about the finale? And then how did you feel about the season as a whole? Okay, well, my uh, my feelings about the finale, I think I'm still kind of processing them because I don't have cable. And so I um, bought the season on Prime and they are a little sketchy about when they post the episodes. And so I didn't get to see it until this morning. And so it's like I got up this morning and got some breakfast and sat down to watch My Own Earp on Prime. And so I'm kind of still in a little bit of flux about it because on the one hand, it was amazing. On the other hand, I'm like, WTF? <laughs> what just <laughs> happened? What is all this? Like, again, you know, as a good as a good finale does, it kind of opened up a whole new world of possibilities. Uh, it answered some questions, but not all of them by any means. And uh, and so I, f- I feel like it did a really good job as a finale just on that basis, just kind of structurally as, you know, setting us up for something that, again, expands 
uh, this world that they've created in these two seasons. And I think, um, you know, a lot of shows that I have liked have really had finales like that, where you just go, oh, no, there's all this this whole other thing that I hadn't even thought about. Wow. And so, um, I don't know, that, that's my basic reaction. And just, like, there were emotions. And, and Mrs. Prof, who does not cry, um, was getting a little weepy during parts of it. And so, and I didn't want to, you know, be like, ha ha, you're getting weepy. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm like that all the time, but she's rarely like that. And so we were having a real moment there and I didn't want to spoil it by being silly. And so, um, so yeah, it was really moving. It was really exciting. Uh, you know, it put them in those kind of just, how are they going to get out of this type situations at several points? And, you know, I didn't know how they were going to get out of it, and so, um, and so that was pretty fascinating. I, I would say my only, my only real um, kind of uh, I don't know moment was when the, um, they split the bullet, uh, when when Doc and Winona were pretending to be about to shoot each other, and they split the bullet and hit the two widows. I was just like, mm, I mean, okay, best gunslinger in the West, sure, but. Uh, I I, I, felt, I kind of fell off the wagon a little bit for a minute when that happened. But other than that, uh, you know, it was a fantastic finale. Um, but WTF, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> Noel, how about you? What did you think of the finale? Right. I only watched it this morning as well because I uh, went to bed at like 8, 9 o'clock like an old person. Uh, <laughs> Um, I was also just really tired. So, uh, so no, I watched it this morning um, after Kate woke me up to complain about the fact I didn't have any audio for the recording yesterday. Yeah, details. <laughs> and, uh, details. Um, right. So I watched it and I really enjoyed it as well. Um, like to counter what Elizabeth just said is I really loved the bullet thing. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because that bullet is huge, and I'm not even sure how it got is she how she got it into the chamber really, because it looked much bigger than a regular bullet. So agreed. That's that's how I'm kind of rolling with it. Is that okay. it's a larger target than um, a regular bullet would be, and that's okay. why he's able to hit it and splice it and just go in both directions. And no, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But it was still and, really cool. Well, <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, as a lover of comic books, like, I'm used yeah. to things like that happening in comic books all the time. And, of course, sure. Winona Earp is kind of a comic book universe yeah. and certainly based on, on a comic book. And so it's, you know, in that sense, I was like, okay, sort of my comic book suspension of disbelief is fine with this. But my yeah. TV suspension of disbelief was <laughs> just like, what? I don't know, but okay. I mean, we had to dispatch them somehow because they were just kind of getting in the way at that point. They were. And yeah, so, they were. Like, they were going to have to find a quick... Because I, I feel like this really could have been two episodes, I think is... Yeah. is um, I, I wish they had added another episode to the season, honestly, because I think that they could have done this one in two episodes and it would have spread out a little bit more and maybe um, they wouldn't have had to dispatch the Widows in quite such a quick, neat form. Um, but, uh, yeah, again... I mean, my comic book brain is like, yes, of course, do it. They, they just, they just kind of. <laughs> there's just sort of this dissolution into a pile of weird bubbles or bugs or something. Bugs, right? It looked like was fighters. It bugs? Was, was it bugs? It, okay. It seemed like bugs to me. Okay. Um, 
but bubbles also works. Uh, sure, just something weird and 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 creepy. Goopy, yeah. Goopy, yes. Yeah. Goopy. <laughs> Bring goopy. us full circle for the season. Don't touch uh, the goop. Always, always with goopy stuff on this show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So um, no, I I I mean. I'm not saying that I hated it. I'm just saying no, no, there was no, a part of my brain that was just like, why? Well, I'm with Noel on this one. And I get what you're coming from, though, uh, Elizabeth. For me, it's just such a... It didn't make any sense based on the laws of physics. But it <laughs> no. made complete emotional sense. Of and course. it made sense based on the way the season had been paced and tracked. I loved that yes. the big bad for this season didn't like turn into somebody else for the last episode. It was these women that we've been fo- following all season long. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really mm-hmm. appropriate. I liked the, t- yeah. the the tension between the two widows in this end and the 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 turn that you know fake like Meredith or something fake redhead one <laughs> had over. <laughs> it's Beth and something starts with an M. Mercedes. Beth and Mercedes. Mercedes. Mercedes yeah. yeah. So Mercedes wearing widow, uh, just being like, screw this guy. I don't. <laughs> taking his power he can stay buried and now it's gonna be about me and then that tension between her and and beth wearing widow i thought really worked so well and then the other thing is that it resolves the tension uh, like the the tension of the season theoretically but it also adds more strain to what's going to come because now they don't have their weapon to kill cludy um which will theoretically i'm guessing draw drive next season but it also was just like for me i I can see what you're saying about them having enough material to put this into two episodes Mm -hmm. but i Mm -hmm. loved that it was one because of the pacing it just yeah it was super fast paced like halfway through the episode like okay wait the widows are gone already it's like yeah. 15 minutes in um and then she's given birth already and there's still like another 20 minutes like the, the i just kept wondering what was going to happen next but sort of like for it was reminding me of elements of the orphan black finale where it was like the the key to this finale the climax of this finale is not the monsters and it's not giving birth it's the baby and it's the the reveal that that the, it's doc's kid that waverly is not bobo's child um it, it, that for me was like the emotional resonance of the season and, and and the reveal and the payoff that had the most weight so i loved that that is where they decided to peak the episode not at so you, physical conflicts with these two widows okay so so you don't think for example that the lack of a of a emotionally climactic birth scene was was because i mean for me i kind of felt a little bit shortchanged that there weren't at least a couple of shots of like her struggling to give birth and things like that and then she's riding a motorcycle yes um i had that same thought thank god it wasn't just me okay because i mean for our for our listeners who uh do not have a bajajay like (laughs) i mean you know and haven't maybe talked to people who have given birth before uh i just whoa i was just like really a motorcycle okay i guess she's really tough <laughs> right that, I, I i just as soon as i saw her on the motorcycle i went that's just earth blood at work right there that's it the only way yeah that's the only way this is gonna work because okay her like maybe maybe sitting <laughs> in a chair yeah and maybe walking sort of okay but like not yeah i just wow motorcycle but you know and then we had that whole thing of mm-hmm. you know is this my own herbs mom like 
like how's that going to play into everything now? And and yeah. that she's known where mom's been is yeah. like the other thing. Like that's sort yeah. of like kind of the crazy thing is that she's been apparently confer conferring with Mama Earp about yeah. everything that's been happening and hasn't told anyone about any of this. And that's, that is, I'm actually kind of excited about and to see how that, how her presence whenever she decides to like really come onto the stage as it were, uh, what that does to all the dynamics of everyone else. Right. And then what was that look between Nicole and dolls and Nicole had recovered yeah. that ring that fell off of the widow because that drove me nuts in the scene where the widows were dispatched and then that ring fell onto the street. And I was like, nobody's picking up the ring. What, what's <laughs> happening right now? That's obviously important. And, uh, but uh, Nicole has it, and then they the, she looks at dolls, and and it's like, are they trying to make us think that they're about to do something evil? Because yeah, I thought something bad was going to happen to Jeremy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and Wave earlier just then. I was Whoa. like, don't drink the coffee, everyone. I get such yeah, a different were... take. I just thought that really? was like, yeah, just dolls and Nicole both understand that they're not done yet. Okay. And Jeremy Maybe. and Waverly are just you're... celebrating and enjoying the moment. I yeah, I hope you're, you're right, right Kate. <laughs> <laughs> I so hope you're right. But uh, but yeah, so there was that little moment and just, yeah, there were there were a couple little things like that where I was like, they just slipped something in there. And also they were they were being so nice to Jeremy this episode and being like, you're part of the family. And Mrs. Prof was just like, they're going to kill him this episode, aren't they? <laughs> and I was just like, no, I no. hope not. Because <laughs> I really like Jeremy, but... Um, well, and I feel yeah, like... That if anyone is safe on this show, it's the gay characters. So I, I, I hope. Yeah. That was my thought. That was my logic as well. I was just like, well, they're not going to kill their gays. Right. <laughs> I mean, I hope not. <laughs> said, but that would be super awkward at Calexicon. Yeah. Uh, everybody would be well. Yeah. Coming back. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm glad he survived the episode. That was really good. I also <laughs> love these hints at more about him. Like that he's yeah. psychic or other things. It's like, I'm not just smart. There's a reason I was recruited to Black Badge. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so I thought that that played off nicely with the just that little moment from from back when everybody was finding out about the pregnancy and he'd already known for quite a mm -hmm. while. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I thought it tied together neatly. And, and, um, and I, it just kind of points for me. One of the things I really appreciate about this season, while it's been a bit disjointed and it never has until for me this finale reached that next level but most of the season for me did not reach or sustain certainly the next gear that i know that this show is capable of uh one of the things i do really appreciate is that they did a pretty good job of identifying what worked and what didn't and so them getting rid mm -hmm. of black badge over the course of the season just being like mm, no not a good idea it's not working well enough let's do something else uh is something that i really appreciate and but then bringing in jeremy and having him and dolls be the remnants of black badge and if they want to pull him back in later on they can but just basically writing them out of the story entirely I, mm -hmm. I, it's just one of the things that i think that they did very well and apparently roasting all of the the firefighters <laughs> yeah because i i wasn't sure what their deal was and like if i because i was thinking maybe they're going to be like new allies or something but they're kind of not and then yeah so i guess i guess we don't have to really think about that anymore mm -hmm. right and like when they had their little show showdown with dolls i was just like where did all these 
guys come from? Because like two episodes ago, it was just like, we're our numbers have been severely dwindled. And then he has a whole new recruits. I'm just like, where did these guys come from? <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter though, because now they've all been flambéed. <laughs> right. Yeah, because dolls just went full dragon on them and well, yeah. <laughs> But now he has to take a long rest before he can use his dragon breath again. Right. <laughs> Very true. Um, let's talk a bit about uh, the baby and uh, I, how lovely it was to have that callback to season one with the blue being the color for, for baby girls mm-hmm, and the pink mm-hmm, being color that. for baby boys back uh, when they had that conversation with uh, Doc and 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 Winona in season one. Um, I thought it was very sweet. All the stuff with the... like. Uh, Winona on the pool table with the baby just broke your mm-hmm. heart. Yeah. And yeah. then Waverly and Nicole crossing the line and then with Doc 2 absolutely lovely. Um, I really like that they brought Perry back and, mm-hmm. and re- reminded everybody of Gus and like they're sending the baby to go with Gus. And because mm-hmm. like initially you're like okay are they going to send Waverly with the baby? Well I, I mean okay the Maybe this was just me, but when I saw Waverly and Nicole with the baby, I was just like, are they going to go off together and raise the baby? Because I would totally read that fanfic. I would too. <laughs> that was the first would, thing I thought I would of. I 100% read that one. <laughs> no, I had the same thought as well. And um, But uh, I was I was glad that Perry showed back up and sort to sort of resolve it. Because I was also just like, but... But way hot, and they've they've actually used the ship name in the show, and I know, but they can't go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it was such a fun way to like you because you could see having watched this finale, what part of why they did that alt episode, alt reality episode in the previous episode was to reestablish Perry, was to name drop Gus, so we would remember who she was, mm-hmm. um, and these setting up some of these things so that they could very efficiently dole yeah. them out in the finale and that's something that i really appreciated yeah you're you're getting some good catches today because some (laughs) some of these things i caught but some of them i i really didn't and but you're absolutely right they did set that up very well yeah and you you say you appreciate i say it just makes me a kind of side eye gone as a girl can get a little bit more because it's such now just a big structural episode as to like to our discussion that we just had where it was just like all about getting these things set into place as opposed to this really fun sort of alt universe type of thing but we you and i just discussed this for like 20 minutes yeah (laughs) do you have any thoughts on 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 that elizabeth for us it was like for me specifically it just wasn't fun enough and i wanted to see evil doc the the time jump episode yeah the alt reality without winona oh yeah see Because I just felt really buffy about that one, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we had, the, you know, the wish verse and all that and buffy and um, I yeah, I don't know, like it wasn't it the, something about that episode didn't grab me y'all are absolutely right about that because after, after I watched it I was like, well, that was kind of, I mean, I just had the sense that yeah, that was a setup episode. Um, they're obviously putting yeah, you're right. Yeah, it wasn't my fave. Yeah. Well, the last thing I think we need to talk about in the finale uh, is, I guess, a, a twofer. But um, we got to talk about Rosita, and we got to talk about the gun going blue. Um, and this, mm-hmm. like, I, of course, I was thinking of Harry Potter and wandless magic, or Harry getting his wand to light up when he's not holding it. Um, 
that for me also implied some sort of some level of sentience to to peacemaker which let me buy the bold split more okay <laughs> um, yeah. oh good one yeah but what did how did you guys feel about the turn with rosita like I, in my head canon until season three happens like the the gun shooting her when it, she's blue because it didn't kill her uh unrevenanted her that's what i've decided because that's what i want to have happen oh <laughs> but what do uh, you yeah, guys I'm, think i'm sold i like that um yeah i was just i just figured it was something about waverly not really being the heir and but something that we still don't know and um and something about the weird metal plate because <laughs> because i don't know like it's all connected somehow but i'm not good at forming these kind of theoretical connections and kind of uh, you know, extrapolating on that and saying, yes, this is definitely going to happen, but I like your idea. Do, do you think that Waverly shot the gun or that Winona willed the gun to shoot sort of through Waverly? You know what I mean? I think Waverly shot it, and we know that Waverly's not a demon, but something. Do you think they're going to straight up have her be an angel? Yeah, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I, my thought process, just like right before you asked that, I just went... Oh, she's an angel. She's an actual legitimate angel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the red and the really... blue fire for hell and, you know. Right. Yeah. 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 Happy clouds and blue skies for heaven. Yeah. And and they keep talking about her being pure and all that. And mm -hmm. and so, yeah, I, you know, I think we're on to something there. How'd you guys feel about the turn for Rosita? It made me sad. And yeah. It was very rude and it made me sad. <laughs> well, did you uh, buy it, it was... though? Yeah, I mean, I think she can be redeemed. Yeah. yeah, I think there's room. Yeah, I agree that there's room for redemption. And I think that'll hopefully be like a part of season three since they, I think they killed like just like half the revenants again mm -hmm. <laughs> at the end of that um, in the bar. So there's still a couple more that they need to take care of, including Rosita. So I'm hoping that she can come back. I, yeah, I feel like, I feel like they've set her up as such an important character. I feel like they wouldn't just get rid of her, you know, after this season or whatever, and just be like, okay, bye. But, um, at the same time, yeah, that was a little bit, Hmm. I think, I think there can be a redemption there and I hope there is because I was kind of really getting to like her. Uh, and I don't know. It seemed like Winona kind of understood her, <laughs> you know, being upset about all that. And she's just like, yeah, I know. I know. And, Sorry, uh, I did. Say, I did promise I was going to kill you. Yeah, that was really shitty. I know, but <laughs> yeah. And so, I, I, you know, I feel like something can be worked out from that, and I would like to think that it will be. Well, it's it's what I said um, back when we had the reveal of Rosita as a revenant, and this this widening of our understanding of who revenants can be if they have mm -hmm. to be evil. This idea that the show presents a forced choice of either you kill all the revenants or the curse is passed down and they continue to try to kill you. And sort of like in go this has been a very Whedon y episode, but like like mm -hmm. in in the Buffy finale, this idea of like who says there's only one in a generation? I don't like that rule. That's a stupid rule. So I'm not gonna buy into your ideas of what the rules are. I'm gonna make mm -hmm. my own rules. I wouldn't be surprised to see the show take that sort of a path with okay, this is all the curse can be or has to be why don't we just break the curse and make you all not revenants anymore uh, you know uh yeah, so i wouldn't be surprised I'm, to see something like that happen 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's any number of possibilities as far as that goes. Because again, like with the with the the Buffy comparison, um, you know, because there were a range of different kinds of vampires in that universe too, and different kinds of demons, and they weren't all evil, and they weren't all. Yeah, so I mean, I think we have plenty of room for that happening here as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, anything else you guys want to touch on in the finale, or should we pivot over to just a little talk about the season as a whole? Um. Yeah, I don't have anything else from the finale unless uh, Elizabeth does. Yeah, not immediately, but it, it might come up in our in our overall discussion. So sure, fire yeah. away. Well, yeah. how did you guys feel about the season? I feel like it kind of splits into pre and post pregnancy so like it goo <laughs> the goo mm-hmm. chunk of the season and then <laughs> not goo <laughs> chunk of the season and I, so I know something Noel that we were talking about did the show live up to its intended inspiration of Mar Gunderson and for me I think they they did I think they, the the tone that they struck and the uh the way that the the season was like there was some in the finale, some like, oh, we want to get the baby. But for the most part, it was not defined by Winona's pregnancy at all. It wasn't defined by the baby. It was just business as usual. And she's pregnant. And how does that shade things? Um, but I don't know. Noel, how do you feel about that? Did, did they did they deliver? Naha, I see what you did there. Delivery. Oh, you're yeah. so full of I've puns today, I've been doing today, that all Kate. day. Oh man, and I didn't even, I didn't intend it. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> no, no, you saved me without puns. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. I, I, I'm sort of split. Like, I think of the finale just did a lot for me to feel better about a lot of it, um, and sort of made me uh, palate cleanse, sort of thing. And I never really. F- I, I agree with you that the pregnancy never really defined or anything, and it was just business as usual plus baby on board sort of situation. I just I don't know that I ever really got to like a merge sort of level for me. Um, but it also I think will have to also involve me like rewatching Fargo again, <laughs> uh, the movie, not the television show. Oh darn. <laughs> Yeah, the season, I mean, I really like the fact that they worked the pregnancy in there because because Melanie Scrifano was actually pregnant. And I think that's um, th- that was something I, I really thought was great, actually. And there were a lot of good little moments throughout where, uh, you know, she would have little interactions with the baby and kind of her ambivalence about the fact that she was pregnant and, you know, didn't really choose that exactly. Uh, and then just her like high fiving the baby when she um, did some acrobatic thing in one of the episodes not too I long ago. I was about to say that. That was like my favorite I loved thing. That. I like, loved God. that so much. <laughs> and and like when she when she referred to it as like this this poor little asshole or this poor sucker and you know <laughs> and it's just like you you felt her kind of feeling that bond with the child, but but also the bond through being an herbear. Uh, and so, you know, just like, sorry, kid, this is the life you're stuck with, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I know you didn't ask for this and just kind of her, her sharing that bond with the child already just in that, in that sense. And I thought that was a really nice, um, a really nice way to work in the pregnancy and also have it not define her because she was still able to pretty much do everything she could do before. And, and that's still pretty true as well. You know, whatever working out you were doing at whatever level before you're pregnant, you can continue doing that almost throughout the pregnancy. And so, you know, that makes sense. Uh, and I just, I liked that, 
you know, it, it wasn't only, it was not only not a problem, but they actually made it into an asset for the season. And that's, I don't know, that seems pretty innovative. I can't think of another show that's really done that where they didn't make the pregnancy like a huge, I mean, it was a huge thing in the season, but it wasn't, you know? Yeah. It was and an I'm emotional just, ne- thing, but not a plot thing. It was, there was tension of, is it docs? And, and how does that mm-hmm. affect everybody else? But mm-hmm. it, it just felt very organic. That it felt very realistic the way that the show approached, like all the different characters approach a pregnancy. That's not usually what we see on TV, especially in genre shows when a character gets pregnant. Right. Yeah. So that I don't know. I thought that worked out really well. And yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm watching for all the way hot moments as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think we got several pretty nice ones uh, mm-hmm. this season. You know, again, the show is all action. You're not going to have, like, showing people having really drawn out long conversations about important stuff, but you just get little hints that maybe they have uh, out of frame or whatever. And uh, so that was nice that we saw them kind of work through some couple stuff, including finding out that uh, Nicole was still married. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was a little out of left field for me. On the other hand, hand, I was still married to my ex when Mrs. Proffer and I first started going out. And I just had to tell her from the beginning, like before our first date, I was like, P.S., we're still married because based on the states we live in, we can't get divorced. Thanks, homophobia. Mm -hmm. But um, (laughs) that's a whole other story. Sorry. Uh, But yeah, so that was an interesting turn of events that, again, seemed a little random, but okay. Yeah. Uh, but I liked I liked how they built that relationship, and it's kind of like the main relationship on the show, well, uh, which is interesting. Is. Yeah, yeah. yeah romantic is. relationship. Yeah, and yeah. I love, that was one of my favorite things about the season is that the core relationship of this season, without a doubt for me, is Winona and Waverly. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the next on the list is Way Hot. Right. And then underneath that, you get the the normal um, genre show or just any TV show. Uh, heteronormative love triangle <laughs> right and i love that right i'm glad they kept the sister relationship in the forefront i think that's really important and that's that's where i feel like supergirl just failed mm-hmm. because you know that was the main relationship in that show for the first season and that was one of the things that really charmed me about it but um but yeah i'm glad that they kept that as as kind of the main one of the main driving emotional forces on the show for sure if not the main uh, how about uh, the way they handled Doc and dolls and, like, the reveal? Like, I had mentioned being so glad that they just got rid of Black Badge. Um, this mm-hmm. season <laughs> exploded um, our other yeah. to Black Badge. Uh, Noel, any thoughts on that? Well, it certainly helped the show, and it mainly helped dolls um, become something resembling a character as opposed to just this really repressed... Um, sort of figure that just gets frustrated by everyone and just gets annoyed and everyone else is sort of fun and and he's just the straight man but he's a really boring straight man you can have a straight man character that doesn't have to be um just defined by that role of a comedic foil type um unless you're zeppo and then you just get to sing every now and then mm-hmm. um but he, within season two he starts like loosening up a little bit you start to see glimmers of humor and i think getting rid of black badge allowed all of that to happen and that was really important and then like the sort of burgeoning bronomy i bromance <laughs> of ha- bromance of friendship and hatred between doc and dolls 
propel some stuff forward in terms of giving him more to do and play off of. Um, it still doesn't really make me dolls like my most interesting or even favorite of the characters on the show. He's still kind of low. I think I'd even put Jeremy above him. And uh, but I, I feel like there's way more room for that character to grow now, even still um, as a result of Black Badge getting blown up. So that was like the best thing that's happened for that character was them just going, yeah, no, we're not going to do this evil conspiracy organization government thing anymore. Bye. Have fun being with all these. <laughs> have fun with the misfits. And that was a good idea. So it, it allowed him to embrace also his misfitness. So though I am sad that um, that woman's head blew up still because I liked her. Like, already <laughs> she was pretty her cool. Name. Yeah. Is that something like that? It was, it was, it was something like that. And yes. I'm really sad. Yeah. It then, started with a C. And of course, uh, Juan Carlo got eaten. Yeah. Yeah. I would have liked a little more. I would have liked to have kept him around, though. I kind of liked him, but he was kind of one of those good go-to old wise character figures. And I kind of liked that being on the show. But uh, as far as Dolls goes, yeah, I, I agree with you, Noel, that he, he really got to be himself more after Black Badge blew up. And then when he was absent for, for several episodes, or it felt like several episodes, um, and, you know, in the fandom especially, they were just like, where's Dolls? We want Dolls back. What's, what's up with Dolls? And he really did feel his absence on the show. So I would, I would disagree a little bit about his importance in comparison with some of the other characters. Uh, because it, it really didn't feel like the same show without him for me. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, the bromance, the bronomies, yeah, whatever, whatever you call it. Yeah, I, I really friends, like, really. But I mean, they kind of, but they have each other's yeah. back, and I think right. that's really important. And so, yeah. uh, you know, I, that scene with the with the old old timey marshals and how dolls stepped in and you know really saved. Uh, save Doc's ass. That was that was a really great scene and I'm glad they had that in there because I think that really cemented the okay, well whatever personal differences they have, they still got each other. Yeah. They the respect is is really clear yeah, and absolutely and ability to work together. Which not enough shows seem to think that's possible for people who are romantic rivals to also respect and like each other outside of that and be able mm -hmm. to function especially as people fighting demons kind of need to be able to function as a team um so i, I certainly appreciated that um i yeah for me i did not care when dolls was off the show i will say having seen the one on earth panel at comic-con this year shamir anderson is way more charismatic and fun and interesting than dolls is so i hope that they <laughs> Like, I liked that character way more after seeing the actor on the panel. Um, and I I hope that they steer more towards his personality um, on the show. They let dolls loosen up and grow and just change into a different personality. <laughs> and sure, he's repressed because of he's had to because of Black Badge and, you know, all those years of training. And he's really been like this all along. Sure. Whatever you need to say to explain why all of a sudden he's a more charismatic, relaxed, loose person who can be funnier, who can, you know, whatever you need to say, writers to justify that, I'm on board because it's a more interesting, uh, you know, 
he's a more interesting character and it's a more interesting support piece for the show. Like the rapport with different characters is more interesting if he gets to actually do more than just be the uptight stick in the mud. Uh, so hopefully that'll continue in into season three. Um, why don't we finish up with favorite episode of the season, favorite moment, and something that we haven't mentioned yet that you want to give a shout out to. So who wants to go first? I I really enjoyed the the earlier episodes in the season before they really got into the main arc because um, it, it had kind of that baddie of the week feel to it. And and that was kind of fun for a little while. I mean, obviously, you can't sustain a whole season doing something like that. And they always advance the over overarching plot, even within those episodes. Uh, but it was, you know, before you really saw where things were going, I thought, you know, the spiders and, and <laughs> <laughs> some of the stuff they had to deal with and the, the haunted apartment building and, and all that uh, kind of stuff that we saw, sort of classic classic supernatural horror TV show stuff at the beginning of the season. I, I really enjoyed that because I thought it was fun. Uh, and I thought that that to me fit in with the brand of Winona Earp really well. But at the same time, you know, obviously if you don't have a main arc or several main arcs going, uh, you know, you're not going to have much of a season. And so they eased into that pretty well, I felt like. And I just, and like I said, I enjoyed the, the weird little interactions that, um, that uh, Winona had with her baby here and there, and talking to to her baby and stuff, and then um, and then also uh, shout out to Drunk Nicole because that was hilarious. <laughs> yes. That was she. I really did not think of her as much of a comedic actress, but it's clear that she is. She's like Waverly, you're so pretty, and I like you so much, and like that. That was just like that's exactly what that character would do while drunk. Yes. even in some kind of desperate situation like that was just that was really good <laughs> and um i don't know and just yeah i mean just you know winona's little little one-off things that she says and I, there are so many of them i can't even remember one of them right now but just she has so many little lines or like oh yeah it's just i don't know there were a lot of fun moments this season and i really liked it overall um you know, the newness of a first season has its own charms because you're just getting to know the characters. And um, and then, you know, in the second season, yeah, I, I do feel like it was a little sporadic here and there because sometimes there would be a funny episode and sometimes it would be all kind of dreary and, and it was really hard to kind of strike that balance. But, um, but at the same time, I thought what they did with the characters, I really enjoyed. And where we got to see a little bit more background of some people, um, you know, more, some more than others, and I would definitely like to see more background of, say, uh, Dolls and or Nicole and or Rosita uh, and find out sort of a little bit more of them, more about them as people. But uh, but it was overall, it was a really fun season, and I'm so happy they got a third season. So happy about that. Definitely. Noel? Uh, let's see. I think Whiskey Lullaby might have been my favorite of the favorite episode of the season, if only just... I liked how they handled um, speeding up the pregnancy <laughs> to, mm -hmm. yeah, to catch up clever. with um, Scafano's um, actual pregnancy. Um, so that, that... I thought that was really clever. But I just liked also, like, the Sandman's um, mansion mm -hmm. house. That set design was really, really good for just, like, mm -hmm. a one-off type of thing. It was really cool. So I liked that. Though... I think my favorite moment, and this may be like a, since Elizabeth already took like the best moment with drunk <laughs> Nicole, um, is 
the triumph of Winona walking out of with the hockey trophy after beating up teenagers off screen <laughs> to get the trophy and just the slow-mo walk and like yes. wiping some blood off her lip and she's got Flicking the trophy. Off the, yeah. And yeah. I was just like, that's that basically sums up the show in a lot of ways for me. Yeah. But I still go back to like when that episode aired, I go back to what I told Kate is just I want to see Winona beat up teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> And, but I think that was probably since um, that was probably my favorite moment of because it, it just encapsulates so much of Winona and the show so much right in that moment. But uh-huh. yeah, that was probably my favorite moment from the season, apart from Drunk and Cole, which is the best moment of the season. <laughs> um, so, Kate, what about you? Uh, I need to throw a little love to Dominique um, hyphenated last name, something Provost? Yes. Provost Chalkley. Provost Chalkley. I knew there was a C in there. Um, for her cheerleader dance, for busting out her actual <laughs> accent, for getting up on stage and singing, and getting and being evil, and then getting her hand cut off. Like there was a lot of really great stuff for her early in the in the season, and I, I wanted to give a little love to to, to her and and you know the way that she reveled in what they gave her to do early on and i would hope that we could see that kind of range for more of the cast moving forward um that really they scaled down on that after she was no longer partially possessed um, but I, that's part of the earlier chunk of the season that had more standalones and more, more flexibility to do stuff like that yeah um so like the heist of like going undercover and sneaking into the bar and all that stuff. Like, it was super fun. Um, and so I wanted to give a little love there. Uh, also, uh, the, the finale was my favorite episode of the season. Um, but just the performances of Dominique Provost-Chalkley and, and Melanie Scrifano with the possessions like back and forth, I thought were really terrific. And some of the best uh, performances that we've seen individual like episodes of performance uh, over the series run. And um, as well as just like, again, the sister moments for me are, are the, the core of this season. Um, so like through the door with the pregnancy test or, mm-hmm. you know, like sitting next to the bed or on the, pool, on the pool table, you know, with in the finale, like those were the, you know, like the uh, Winona, telling Bobo that she's Waverly so that Waverly will be protected like these different moments throughout the season that was the core for me and um I you know I I love the way that they always adhere to that even (laughs) when oh no you've brought doom upon us all because you didn't trust that I would be able to just save your girlfriend you know and and, but the way they also seem to have already gotten over it in the Mm -hmm. last episode you know uh, that that just feels so honest and uh, something that i i really appreciate about this season um i think now this favorite shout out and and moments yeah i think those are the ones that i will go with but yeah so many little funny asides just like watching winona really want booze but she can't have any (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it was just a nice fun. I like. I look forward to like when she's like, just give me all the whiskey. I want all the whiskey. <laughs> and she's and, and Rosie was like, ah, no, but soon, but no. Um, yeah, I, that was it. Was just a fun thread throughout this season and something that I've really enjoyed. And and as you guys have said, I I'm so glad they got a season three, and I'm really looking forward to 
what they do now in season three because there's a lot of potential so um we'll see we'll see what the writers come up with i'm very excited for that and i feel like the show is gaining some traction in fan base and it's like getting a little more buzzed about so the wider tv community is starting to check it out like tv fans and stuff and other critics so hopefully it will just continue to grow and we'll get more and more erpers out there supporting the show so fingers crossed definitely yeah well thank you so much elizabeth for coming back on the podcast with us where can our listeners find you and your work online uh yes my not very often updated right now blog is uh uncannyvalley.us and then uh i'm on twitter at eg bridges awesome and thank you once more elizabeth thank you noel thank you everyone for listening and we'll be back next week with another episode of the televerse mm-hmm.